Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Be cool, man. Act natural. What? Yeah. Keep your voice down. I'm gonna get up and go. Wait ten seconds, and then follow me. Follow you where? I found a secret tunnel that leads out to the jungle. You found a secret tunnel? Well, Jacob told me about it. Said you and me have to go. I'm not going anywhere, really. I told him you'd say that, so he told me to tell you. You have what it takes. What did you just say? He said, you have what it takes. He said, you know what that meant. Where is he? What? Jacob, where is he? He's kind of dead. Turns up whenever he wants, like Obi-Wan Kenobi. But if you want to talk to him, he's where we're going, dude. Well, then let's go see Jacob. go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking season six episode five lighthouse i'm josh wiggler i am joined here by a man who is going to take me to go see jacob mike bloom wait there are people listening to us yeah they've been why listening. are they listening to us they've been listening why are they listening to us i don't know I and this know. is when I smash my microphone with a oh, with a no. little telescope. No, we don't have the budget to get you a new one. <laughs> oh no! Well, looks like we're gonna have to go back to me talking out of a tin can because well, I was too well, rash. Uh, down the hatch ends prematurely because Mike Bloom trashed his setup. Yeah, this is where I'm gonna stare contemplatively at the ocean, which I am nowhere near. So I'm gonna have uh, to stare at a street corner. Sometimes you need to just get into the back of somebody's taxi cab and tell them what to podcast about. Other people, you need to let them sit out and look at the ocean for a while. Um, 
And that's how podcasts are made. Is that what, so the Ben Behind the Curtain pushed you on this back in the day by getting in the same cab as you? Is this the origin story revealed? I think so. I think I was probably in a in a taxi. Uh, I was in a taxi in Thailand when I got the text for or the direct message from the Ben Behind the Curtain. Oh, like, and you said, you, you know what? Turn do. around. No tattoo for me. I got to start a Lost podcast. Yeah, I really was thinking about getting a tattoo that said, uh, I think it was going to be the numbers. I don't remember what it was, uh, but uh, that didn't happen. And I thought it would be uh, hilarious. It still uh, might when happen. when this is all over, Mike, yeah. uh, you and I will go to Thailand and get tattoos together. Well, listen, let me be cards up here. I mean, I am I am a tatted man. I have been bitten by the bug as well as the needle, and I've been thinking about getting a second. And I have legitimately thought, Josh, about pitching you on the idea of when this round the blocks is all said and done, if, if you and I get some matching lost tattoos. Only if it's in Thailand. That's the all only right, way. Okay. Unless it's in unless it's in uh if it's not in Thailand, then I'm not doing it. What if I hire Biling to do it for us? Uh, let's hire, let's, uh, let's hire Biling, uh, to be on the podcast in which we get lost tattoos. <laughs> She's going to attend with us. We'll hold a microphone next to her the entire time and interview her as we're getting needled up. Listen, this is a Jack Shepard special this episode, so it's only fair that as we are contemplating Jack's life and times that we bring some stranger in a strange land into the mix, even though in many ways this episode feels, uh, as uh, as Hurley is going to say, very old school, you know, has mm. like some shades of season one, uh, certainly in the placement of this episode, uh, feels like uh, the first few episodes of this season, they're going for that Kate Locke jack special so this is sort of like that white rabbit placement um but it's a big one uh especially when you know what the sideways is uh when you know that it is uh, a contemplation and a meditation on jack's whole life um that jack never was a father that this is something he's working out uh and it's uh powerful stuff there i think that the on island stuff between jack and hurley mike is really really strong but we also have all of the claire stuff to consider and i know that that's going to be like headier stuff to contemplate and by headier i mean like literally like that wig on the head must have been very very heavy that being said though i think emily durabin rocks the volume uh she's got a little bit of that new so hair going on i guess the more mentally unstable you get the more volumized your hair gets but yeah this is a really big episode for the end game of the show you know it's weird to say that jack did play a pretty Big role, I would say, in these flash sideways stuff of L.A. SpaceX. But I feel like outside of that, he has been a perennially, as he'll say here, broken man after everything failed with the incident. And so I wouldn't say he's taken a back seat necessarily, uh, especially in a cab. But it does feel like for being the quote-unquote main character of the show once upon a time, he's not certainly at the forefront as much as he was during the first five episodes of season one by comparison. This changes that, and I think this episode, out of all the ones we've experienced so far, is one of the biggest ones to echo forward to how everything ends. Uh, you know, between everything with Christian Shepard's body and persona showing back up to the revelation in the finale that everything was created by Jack and the Losties. We're going to view a lot of the David Shepard character through that lens to Jack sort of realizing his purpose over the course of this episode, or at least a purpose. Someone who was stewing in a lot of I don't know, ennui as to why was I brought here? What should I be doing? He's at least a little bit closer to what Jacob wants 
from him what he wants him to do, uh, which is fairly significant as well. So, yeah, I would argue this is a very important episode uh, and i do find it interesting as well obviously like you said we're mirroring the the centricity of kate to, to Locke to jack of a season one but i do really find this interesting that this episode also follows up the substitute considering how we finish the substitute on a game-breaking revelation about the candidates and right. now we get this hammered in here in a very different location with a very different reaction. Uh, Sawyer says, hell yeah. Jack says, hell nah to this idea. And so I'm, I'm intrigued to relitigate that stuff and see, okay, was this, you know, striking while the iron was hot? Was this too much of showing the lighthouse right after the cave? It's another way to reinvestigate the idea of the candidates and specifically the way Jacob views them versus the man in black views them. Well, I think there's like a fun, like, um, uh, like uh, above world, underworld dynamic too with the lighthouse. Ooh, who are the lichens? You know, with the with the with the lighthouse. <laughs> oh no, terrible! Uh, Kate Beckinsale, Austin, with the with the lighthouse, <laughs> like you know, like scraping the sky, and then the cave, like uh, representing hell, and so like the two different sides of like the same thing, like two different ways of looking at it, which is something that Lost does really well. Man of science, man of faith. Like this is this island is special because it is faith. This island is special because it's got ridiculous electromagnetic energy pockets that can heal you and give you superpowers. Science? Uh, and so, like, there are, you know, always, like, two different ways to look at things on on the show. And so I think, like, having two back-to-back different ways of looking at the candidate uh, question uh, is is really, really, really good. Uh, we'll get into all of it. There's a lot to unpack. I think an episode that, for me, is, like, held back by its B-plot. Um, if we call, if we think that the Claire is the B plot, or if that's the C plot, whichever mm. the Claire plot, C, plot no, is, C for Claire, it's got to be the C plot. Yeah, so I think the C plot uh, leaves much to be desired, um, but the A and the B, uh, the Jack and Hurley, as well as the sideways stuff, I think is all really, really, really strong. Maybe a little hokey with like the the Adam and Eve stuff, especially uh, coming so recently from across the sea, um, and like the fact that that's the revelation we get. We'll talk about that when we get there. But I think a rich episode, um, one of the stronger season six episodes for me is Lighthouse for sure. So we'll talk about all of it. Before we do, let's just take a quick second to tell you all about the fact that it is the birthday month of the Post Show Recaps Patreon program. We've uh, already Eric David told Stein. you this. Did you wait, wish you a happy birthday? We've already, I'm sure Eric has. I know Eric has. Eric has wished Post Show Recaps a happy birthday, uh, the Patreon program a happy birthday. And we would love it if you joined us for the celebration all month long. We are just rocking out. We're partying hard with the, with the Post Show Recaps patrons in many different ways. We've introduced a new tier so that you can get uh, an incredible Wiggler's Wombats t-shirt. Um, we have extended the offer for uh, Wiggler's Wombats hats for the rest of this month. But this really is it. If you sign up at the $15 level or the $25 level, you will be eligible after three months for a Wiggler's Wombats hat. But this is the last month, October 21, where you can sign up for that deal. So make your decision. Uh, either sit on it or make a move now because this this really is it. Um, other things that you may want to know about, really the big one 
is the campus tour. We have opened up the Post Show Recaps patron discord, which we're always raving about. We're always talking about how much we love this place. We've opened it up to the $5 patrons. So at that first tier, the binge watcher tier, you can come and join the Post Show Recaps patron discord this month just for $5. You can come and meet all sorts of amazing new people. We've met so many great people just Mm -hmm. in the first week of doing this program. Remember Bram, uh, the Bram who complained about the Bram on Lost, the only good Bram left? He's around. He just mm-hmm. showed up and it's been a blast. Uh, so all sorts of people are coming out of the woodwork and we're really having a fun time meeting new people. We would love for that to be you for just the low price of five bucks. You can come in, you can pop in, you're going to get a little section of the Discord, which has a lot of channels in it, even for this campus tour section. You can play casino games. You can talk about your favorite shows. I've been running an AMA. You can literally ask me anything for the low price of $5 for the month of October, just to say hi, just to show up, just to let us know you're out there and you're enjoying the content. It would mean the world to all of us here on the Post Show Recaps Network if you came and celebrated with us. So that's patreon.com slash post show recaps, patreon.com slash post show recaps to sign up at any level that you are comfortable with. Mike Bloom. Yes, uh, it's really, really exciting. We've had a couple of DTH people sneaking in. This is also our requisite time to mention that throughout season six, Josh Wiggler and I are doing patron watch alongs of season six of Lost on the Discord at, I believe, is at the $10 level or is it open to the campus store people as well? Yeah, um, it is at the $10 level. But look, if enough hatchlings show up at that campus tour level and you come in through the campus tour and you say, hey, I'm here for the down the hatch stuff. We could move a few of these to the campus store. There's truly no reason we wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, so if you want to watch Lost with Mike and I on Monday nights at 8 p.m. for the rest of October, 8 p.m. Eastern, Monday nights, uh, we'll do that in the campus store. I've got no problem with that. Yeah, and so we we really have a good time. We are a small but mighty crew, much like the Acolytes of the Temple. We do a lot of gawking, much like the Acolytes of the Temple as well. A lot of staring, but this time it is at Lost and not just Saeed in particular. That's where Josh and I bandy about some theories and some observations. It's like a a dry run, I think, for the podcast as well. So if you want a a bit of a glimpse behind the curtain and you want to join some Losties for a good time watching Season 6 of Lost, it's another incentive to, to, you know, deepen your pocket as part of the Post Show Recaps patron program. I understand that 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 is uh, not a luxury everyone can afford. We are very 100%. grateful to people who are listening. We've actually had a pretty big windfall this past week for whatever reason uh, of a bunch of people reaching out and saying they had finally, Josh, caught up with their Down the Hatch feed. That's so awesome. And it's incredible. It's so and, and it's a true marathon effort, considering that at this point, right, this is actually the 108th episode of Lost. Uh, and I do believe that we probably have put out at least 300 to 400 hours of lost content across those 108 episodes. It's hard to even consider how many hours of lost you and I have talked at this point. Exactly. And and more to come, uh, obviously. But I I just find it an amazing effort and special shout out to the hatchlings, uh, especially as uh, as much as I might decry the mysterious people that are listening to us and watching us through our homes in the the mirrors at the tops of lighthouses. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And so we are eternally grateful for that, whether you're going to join us for the watch alongs whether you're here for a wednesday drop or a friday drop uh we're, we're very happy when you get to pop in and, and let us know you're caught up or how much you enjoy the, the shenanigans that we're bringing out every week 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, we would love to have you in here. We've been making, uh, we've been making friends left and right. It's been so fun, uh, hearing from the hatchlings directly, forging those bonds with them directly. We hope that that is enticing to you. You want to hang out with me and Mike. It is a thing that you very much can do. Uh, and, uh, we'll, we, we'll, we're, we're thrilled. We're excited to see you there. We're also, if you're a worst day ever fan, uh, the 24 podcast that we do here on post show recaps, we have a stretch goal for the month of October. Emily Fox and I, who is uh, my wife and co-host on Worst Day Ever, the 24 Season 1 recap, have only said that we are going to do Season 1 of 24. And that's still the plan unless we can hit uh, 24 patrons, 24 new patrons in the month of October. And as it stands, we need to hit 584 is the lucky number. We have 584 patrons total on Post Show Recaps. Emily and I will go straight from Season 1 to season two. Uh, so if that's not further incentive, if you are a fan of that podcast, I don't know what else we can do for you. We're trotting out all the stops. Uh, we're trying to, we're trying to make this worth your while. And I think it is in addition to that $5 level, getting access to the discord, you're getting bonus podcasts. You're getting all kinds of stuff. So consider it. We're giving you the hard push this month, but it's because we're really proud of what we do. Uh, and we are, uh, we are grateful for your support at any level that you are able to provide, even if it's just a one-time thing. You want to show up for October, say, you are all awesome and you're doing great stuff and I can only be here for five minutes. That's fine. Mm -hmm. We would still love that five minutes from you. So just say hi. We would love that. Make us very, very, very happy. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. One more time. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. We're going to throw it to our sponsors really quick, a quick ad break, and then we will be back going forth into the jungle to discuss Lighthouse. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Mike, let's go forth into the jungle. Let us discuss Lighthouse, directed by Jack Bender, written by Lindelof and Cues, centering on Jack Shepard. All the classics. All the classics. And we start on a classic as well with uh, some nicely photoshopped pictures of Jack Shepard. Now, mm-hmm. th- I guess this is a step 
I don't know if I call this a step above, maybe just a step to the side compared to last week. I want to be on sideways photo watch because between last week when we saw a picture in Locke's cubicle, which was just a, sh- a screenshot of him and Anthony Cooper from Deus Ex Machina, and now this week where they photoshopped a young Matthew Fox into, I don't know what picture this would be would this be his wet one of his wedding photos Looks like it yeah yeah except uh notably juliet is not in the picture quite literally no uh they're saving that for a big reveal huge oh, reveal s- stop me if you've heard that one before because we're gonna say that a lot over the course of this episode yes. uh so that's coming uh huge reveal on the way uh that juliet is the mother how i met your flash sideways mother uh coming at the end of the season um but yeah we start off with jack he's coming home he's surrounded by all these amazing photoshop jobs uh he's washing his face he's like you know sort of like detoxing from all of the stuff that's been going on recently Mm -hmm. um he's on the phone with his mom he doesn't remember how he got uh his appendix removed so there's like a little bit of like uh like he's like He's like trying to, I don't know, like there's some, there's, I think this whole sideways universe storyline with Jack in this episode can for sure be like viewed as something within Jack really, really, really trying to wake up. There's a lot of different points in this episode, Mike, that I think like you could imagine like the wake up process for Jack Shepard happening here. But like, it's that, like, it's that signature Shepard stubbornness that's like refusing him to like get it all the way. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, things that accelerates Jack's character in the sideways that I would say if waking up for Jack was a giant leap, these will be the steps running up to that eventual leap. Whereas maybe for other characters, they can take that leap very easily from the starting place. Like you said, with Jack Shepard, it takes a little while. It took him this long to finally realize that the island was special, that it does need protecting. It's going to take him a little while to wake up to this reality that he and a bunch of people have created. And we get it here, right? Like, he had the nick on his neck uh, yeah. when he was in the, the airplane bathroom. Now he has the scar of where he will eventually be fatally stabbed in the end, uh, which also is where he got his appendix removed. But I think we also see... I don't know. This also, again, brings up many questions about the Flash sideways of Margot filling in the backstory. Was that set up in the process to create the Flash sideways? Or is the Flash sideways a little fluid, Josh? Like, can it be do a little bit of improv or when you ask questions to it? Like, you're asking uh, questions to an AI. The computer program is able to respond in kind, answer your questions to kind of keep the ruse going. Yeah, maybe there's like, it's like the Matrix, right? Like, mm. uh, like an Agent Smith can just become anybody or anybody can just become an Agent Smith, something like that. Uh, like the Matrix fitching fixing the the glitches in the system yeah what, what i'm wondering is really did these losties write a series bible for the flash sideways before they got into it or are they making up the given circumstances as they go along i think i think it's a little bit of both i mean like i think like as much as i'm going to come out here and like defend the sideways as like really emotionally powerful and like a really nice coda that i do expect works better even in chronologically lost when like you can kind of like view it all on its own terms um like i think a lot of that stuff is satisfying is kind of like final journey territory for many of these characters um but is it logical no 
you know and like do like does it do the rules all even make sense within like you know the show of lost which is not all logical no they don't and i think the sideways is like very much uh uh if not like the ambassador of those ideas of like sometimes this show just doesn't make sense go with it um but like it's definitely a strong example of that vibe that lost often uh gives off that it's just like are you making this up as you go i think to some extent probably yes and part of that i love it that you know when jack comes to the table of like okay let's create this world he says all right one condition I have to keep my janky ass Jeep that I was driving around in t- from 2004 to 2007. I, I love that the- car. Yeah. I have to take the Jeep with me. That's who I came with. That's what I'm leaving with. He loved that car, you know? Uh, Apparently, considering that he seems to be, you know, he's, he's far from the rut he was in uh, from 2004 to 2007 when he left the island, yet he is still driving it around. Yes, he is. Uh, so he still has that vehicle. Good for him. Uh, and he also has, if he's got something old in the form of the car, he's got something new, mm. Mike. He's got 13 Reasons Why's very own <laughs> Dylan Minnette as David Shepard Jack's Flash Sideways Son. Yes, let's take a minute or a few to discuss Dylan <laughs> Minnette. Let's take a few minutes. A few minutes. Uh, we have up to 13 minutes of time that we can spend talking about Dylan Minnette in this episode. I mean, look, there is a lot of understandable discourse against the main vehicle that Dylan Minnette is associated with. But what I will say here is not only is he a fantastic casting opposite Matthew Fox, I might argue some of the best, like, parent-child casting outside of when they actually cast people's children as there's there's you know like literal children in their various products but i would argue i don't know if this is a hot take i think dylan minette as david shepherd might be the best casting in season six Mm -hmm. in terms of new characters because i think dylan minette as well he's not one of these child actors who just like was cast purely for his looks and doesn't necessarily bring it in the acting department. Like David, Dylan Minnette brings it a little bit in this episode. Unfortunately, this is probably the most focus we will get on him. I think he appears in maybe two episodes after this, but this is really the brunt that he's going to get uh, in focus. And yeah, he kind of is a little shit, but who among us wasn't at this age, especially given the circumstances and the type of parent Jack is at this moment. I think Dylan Minnette does a really great job here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think he's really good. I think he he's very sweet. Like he he plays this really good line of like being like coming across as like uh, aloof and disinterested in his father. But that also like when you pull the curtain back, understand that that's a lot of like fear of your dad. Um, and like I think that really the thing that um, that uh, comes across for me is that like the dynamic between him and Matthew Fox is very strong. Um, yes. Like you really, really feel that father son vibe between the two of them. And I think as like a young actor. Um, it's like hard enough to like play your character convincingly. It's like really hard to like play your character convincingly across like basically a scene partner and like have so much dramatic weight being um, put on the shoulders of like a dynamic that you have to create with an adult human. Uh, you know, like I think that's like really, really challenging. Uh, and I think that he does such a great job and it's really no wonder that he, he went on from, from this show to have uh, you know, a pretty, pretty good career. That's still very young, obviously. Uh, I'm not sure what he's doing these days. Uh, I don't know where Dylan Minnette can be found right now. I think 13 Reasons Why is done, right? Yeah, they 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 were four and done. So I believe that 
that show is done at the moment. Oh, he's going to be in the new Scream movie that just got announced or just oh, got like uh, revealed that a teaser is incoming. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. So, it's, so I think he's uh, he's found his way through some horror stuff. He was in Don't Breathe. Also, actually, should be noted. So he was in the film version of Alexandra and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day with Steve yeah. Carell. Do you know what his character's name was? Oh, my God. Was it Jack? No, it was Anthony Cooper. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Mind blown. It's all connected, man. Everything is connected. None of it is real. Screw the button, man. Who knows if it's even real? Um, wow, that's hilarious. All right, so Dylan Minnette shows up here as David, who I believe as recently as that interview he did with The Storm, um, Damon Lindelof more or less said that like it, one of the interpretations of David Shepard as a character is that he is an expression of Jack as a child. So that mm. in this episode specifically, what you're dealing with is like Jack Shepard as the father the sun and the Holy spirit, uh, you know, (laughs) being, uh, you know, dead here in this sideways universe. I think that that's, I think that's interesting, uh, as like a, a read of like, when you watch the scenes between Jack and, and David of like Jack being the father, he always wished he had Jack being the father. He maybe like, always hoped he could be but never like trusted himself to become because he was like um you know uh just like in almost in protest of his father like you know i'll never be that um so i i think that like a couple of these scenes when he's like talking to like when you view it not just as him talking to his child but also literally talking to himself and like showing himself that radical self-acceptance i think it's some some pretty powerful stuff that scene at the end is the one that i'm especially looking at yeah, it's it's a little bit of a step away from what Damon Lindelof will do with something like The Leftovers Seasons 2 and 3, right? In terms of creating this sort of fantastical world that functions allegorically. You know, I think the idea of talking to a younger version of yourself is a trope that is well-worn or fighting a version of yourself. It goes all the way back to Luke Skywalker on Dagobah, right? Uh, luckily, Jack does not cut off David's head here. But I, I think that it is obviously incredibly meaningful. That being said, it also deepens the lore of the Flash sideways, because again, while we're still questioning what is real, what isn't, who created this, who's just a fabrication, no matter what, David Shepard is 100% a fabrication. Uh, Jack dies in this reality, he does not go on to sire any children. As far as we know, there's no like Sawyer Clementine situation where he impregnated somebody who had a child that was Dylan Manette and this is now his afterlife. He is a product of the of this matrix, no matter what. And I think from that perspective that Damon Lindelof gave, there's a very clear reason why, or 13 as a matter of fact, as to why he's been created. Interesting that he seems to be the only one specifically, like the only new character that has been brought about, though I guess was that mechanic that helped Kate a couple of episodes ago? Is he like her, David Shepard? Yeah, I think that uh, the mechanic is like Kate when she was at her most handy. Mm. You know, like, I wish I was handier. You know, I wish I was just better around uh mechanics and motorcycles. I wish I was I, I wish I was so cool when uh when criminals showed up at my doorstep. Maybe yeah. that's a thing. Maybe everyone gets a David yeah. in this reality. And so we'll just have to track who everyone that is. Everyone gets an imaginary friend. Yeah. It makes sense. One for the road, dude. All right. So that's the sideways. We'll check back in there. Unfortunately we have to go to the temple. 
uh, Dogen and, and Jack are talking about, uh, uh, like, they're having an honest conversation, Mike, is what's happening. Yeah. Uh, happening. And, you know, this is also, we should sort of reset things because we skipped the temple stuff this past week, but they're sort of reconciling with the poison pill. This is after Jack had that conversation with Dogen where he essentially forced Dogen to reveal that he wanted, he had tried to trick Jack into poisoning Saeed uh, to prevent the evil from infecting him. That being said, I don't know, maybe Dogen feels a little humbled in this episode. Oh, Josh, this episode is so cathartic for Dogen haters out there. Like, he gets owned in so many levels, but I feel like for the first time... It feels like Jack and Dogen are talking, maybe not as equals, but Dogen, I think, regards him more than he has previously. Yeah. Uh, I really like the, the runner in this conversation of, I appreciate your honesty. Uh, you know, Dogen's very cards up here where Jack says, uh, Dogen says, oh, I thought you would have left. And Jack goes, well, I was leaving an option. And Dogen says, technically, I mean, I would have stopped you. So technically, no, but you do have a choice in yeah. this matter. It seems like Dogen is taking at least a different approach with Jack, which I uh, admire, but I think it also shows that maybe Jack shows he's a bit more of a force to be reckoned with than Dogen might have thought of. Um, elsewhere, Miles and Hurley are playing tic-tac-toe. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Like, these guys have done They're bored. nothing since they've shown up at the temple. And granted, it only seems like it's been, what, like a day or so? Because I'm assuming that the action of what Kate does took place over a day. I don't know how much time has shifted since that, uh, but they, the two of them specifically have been told to just stay put, and there really is nothing to do. And I also like the the pseudo-pairing of them. Again, we're not going to get too much more of it uh, over the course of the rest of the season, but it's also a fun callback to the Some Like It Hoth of it all. Yes, uh, so I like that. Uh, you hungry? I could eat. I, I guess so. I don't know. They said there was, they joked there was a food court before, like... Do they just have rations set up? Are they eating from the land? What do they do, especially when they're in quarantine, when they're in lockdown in the temple? They have just like, they're sitting, Mike, on a stockpile of ranch from the Dharma Initiative. Oh, yeah, that stuff never goes bad. Yes. Uh, and Hurley's going to create so many great dipping sauces for those waffles. Yes, yes. Uh, so that's that's probably what they're eating. Uh, and, and Hurley's just getting ready to reunite with that Dharma Ranch when he goes inside and somebody is like sort of just like perving on the pool inside <laughs> of the temple. That and pool perv. Yeah, it turns out to be Jacob the ghost. Pool yeah. Perv Jacob, PPJ. PPJ. Uh, so, yeah, so he's just sort of like chilling by the pool uh, and tells her like, hey, Hurley, I'm back. You should probably get a pen. You're going to have to write a few things down. It is noteworthy that the next time we see Hurley, he did indeed get a pen. Here's my headcanon, Josh. Off screen, did the ghost of Boone pop up? talked to Hurley, and Hurley had him get, like, five different pens from all the other ghosts. Yes, almost certainly. Uh, that is Because there's, Hurley... no, there's no way there's a pen in this, you know, mythical, uh, almost like uh, anarchical era. Uh, well, Lenin, as a translator for Dogen, perhaps uh, has, like, a healthy stock of gel pens in Dogen's <laughs> office uh, is a possibility. Um, Jacob tells Hurley, um, I have, I need you to get a pen. You're going to have to write some stuff down. Someone's coming to the Island and I need you to help him find it. Um, we believe this to be Charles Woodmore, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure why is that 
you know, is that sort of like a, okay, this all needs to play out? Is this, okay, this is the best chance of the man in black going down? I'm a, I'm a bit hazy. Like all hands on deck, maybe, right? Yeah, I'm a, a, I'm a bit extent. hazy on a lot of this season, but maybe for him it's like any port in a storm. Exactly, I was if, thinking if, you that. Know, wh- whoever can take down the worst, my worst enemy and prevent essentially the world from ending, uh, let's make that happen. So yeah, Hurley, you're going to have to send out like the distress beacon yeah. right now. You're going to have to unjam the radio signal so you can call the, uh, the mythal... The, the metaphorical Minkowski in the form of Widmore. Yes. Uh, so I, um, I, I don't know that I love this as like kind of the hook. Um, that like, uh, we need, I need you to go somewhere. Someone's coming to the island. I need you to help them find it. Unless it's like, you know, I guess that like we were thinking that he literally means Widmore. But what if he does mean Jack? to a certain extent right like Ugh. someone's coming to the island someone's like coming to like be here and to like accept why they're here and that they're here for a reason i need you to help him do that like is there a world where that is part of what he's talking about here that it's less Ugh. about like i need you to signal the beacon for chucky wids i need you to help jack find his way you know i'd rather the explanation be yeah i was tricking you hurley because i need to get you and jack out that no, you don't understand. The person that needed to come here was Jack. He yeah, needed to find himself. Like, all along the way. I'd rather not have to deal with that sort of like thematic, for lack of a better term, hippy dippy bullshit. But also knowing Jacob, I could completely believe that he'd be like, oh, well, I didn't technically lie to you. We did bring someone to the island. Yeah. himself himself. Ooh, spooky dookie. Uh, yeah, it's a little dumb, uh, but that's all right. You know, what are you going to do? Um, in the sideways, David comes home. Uh, he's reading the annotated Alice in Wonderland. Even in the sideways, Mike, Jack can't get rid of that white rabbit. Yeah, and well, it's also noteworthy, though, that he, he mentions that he used to read it to, to David when he was little, much like he did with Aaron. So again, if we're sort of seeing how Jack imprints the father that he wants to be i think that is a facet that he carries forward from that brief portion of time when he was like aaron's surrogate adopted pseudo stepfather yeah uh so i think like yeah i think like that was the closest he allowed himself to to come to being a dad he did seem like he would have been great you know and like i think like you map the way that he treats little david here and i think he really would have been a good dad um David's uh, wandering around just like rocking these huge headphones like he can't hear anybody. Jack mm-hmm. just wants he's, to talk to him. He's listening to something, but you haven't heard of them. Maybe it's yeah. like Dirt Spigot. I believe uh, Dirt Spigot might be one of the posters on the walls when Jack goes into his room. Uh, is that real? Oh, no, I think it's Meat Coat. I think Meat it's it's Coat. one it's one of those uh, fake bands that Charlie talks about that Drive Shaft is losing out their fans to. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um... David, uh, I have in my notes, I have David eats Milano cookies, but in reality, David eats a Milano cookie. Yes, 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 yes. I'm so glad you noticed this. Okay, so actually a few things on this. Apparently, Mike is just tremendous. According to Lostpedia, let's talk about David's snack protocol here, because this is what we do on. This is this is our special sauce, our ranch here on Lost Down the Hatch. So first off, before he goes for the the singular Milano cookie, Jacob grab. I mean, uh, Jacob David grabs a soda out of the fridge, and it's interesting. He covers up the label, but apparently, according to uh, Jorge Garcia's Geronimo Jackson podcast, apparently in this world there is also Apollo brand soda. 
And that's what they're using over the course of this episode. So mm. David's not only eating one Milano cookie, he's washing it down with a nice swig of Apollo soda, which is only available in this universe. That's pretty tasty. Uh, it sounds good. Does Is it like a chocolate soda? Ooh, I don't know about that. I think it's more so like... You know, craft like the Umbrella Corporation, right? Like the Frito Lay. Hey, we make a bunch of stuff. Like they own Pepsi and they own Fritos. I don't think the Umbrella Corporation is is very different. They make zombies. (laughs) Exactly. I was going to say E virus, Mike. Yeah. When Claire's going to talk later about how infection can get you, I'm assuming that's what she's speaking about. Yeah. Oh my god. I thought you were going to be a Claire sandwich. Yeah. Uh, My friend is Resident Evil. Um, Yeah. So he's eating a single Milano cookie. What did you? What was your joke when we were watching this live? Did you say? Do they call them Alyssas in the sideways? No, they call them Alyssas. Yeah, yeah. not Milanos. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> this is what you're missing if you don't want to do the live watches. Five dollars. Come join us this Monday at eight yeah, p.m. as we watch this- the temple burn all the way to the ground. It's going to be a rollicking time. So then, but this is why the a flash sideways five dollar investment. I think. But this is why the flash sideways is so fun too, right? Because you make stupid jokes about the multi right i'm like oh yeah, yeah we don't call them milanos here we call them melissa's <laughs> so dumb um anyways jack's just trying to connect with this kid um back at the temple sides like why is everybody looking at me it's just so uncomfortable um and jack is telling well i was supposed to kill you with poison and i think everybody is disappointed that i didn't kill you with poison uh whatever happened to you saeed has happened before and saeed with a classic lost trope to who? Because that matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, just, matters. Cur- just curious, who might it be? Yeah. So yeah, this this is our Jack little goes, bit. The man on my boat. <laughs> oh no, yeah. my friend. My He's friend, my friend. My friend. <laughs> uh, but this is going to be a setup, obviously, for sundown, which is going to take more prominence next week. Like, say it's going to take this, put it in his pocket. Of okay, they tried to kill me. I like the fact that we have a temple version of the literal gawkers now. Like this one dude with the bandage over his eye, just sort of scoping things out. You know, I should make mention of this because we skipped over it a bit with Pool Perv Jacob. But I should mention here, Josh, a bit of podcast synergy going on on PSR oh, this yeah. week. This is great. Um, so you, uh, you and Angela Bloom do the Bloom mm-hmm. Files, the mm-hmm. X Files podcast, uh, where you're cherry picking. Really, Angela, as the X Files expert, is cherry picking episodes from the X Files across the series for you to watch to get uh, a really good X Files experience. And you have uh, you're reaching an episode this week that has a big lost tie-in. Is that correct? Yes. So I just watched last night an episode called Hungry. It is season seven, episode three. And it features a role played by Mark Pellegrino, a.k.a. Jacob. Uh, he looks so doofy. He has this, like, because it's the 90s, he sort of has this, like, shaggy Desmond-length blonde hair that gets pulled back into a ponytail because he plays a fry cook. But Josh, Mark Pellegrino's character, has, I mean this in every literal syllabic sense, the worst character name I have ever heard in my 32 years on Earth, and I it just saw, happens to be played by you, this man. I saw you write this in the Discord in the Bloom Files channel, and I'm blanking on what it was. So please, because I, I I read it, and I was like, "What the hell?" Uh, His name, Mark Pellegrino's name of a normal human being on the X that he's supposed to be playing on the X Files is Durwood Spinks. Durwood what? <laughs> Durwood. Thanks. How do you spell that? It's the first name, D-E-R-W-O-O-D. 
Last name S P I N K S. Derwood Spinks. Derwood Spinks. Derwood Spinks. The worst name I have ever heard for a character Does he have in my a life. Nickname? Like, or do you call him Derwood? They call him Derwood Spinks. They just never like call. Like, I guess like if your name is Derwood Spinks, <laughs> you don't get a nickname. You get a full name treatment because it is. His parents, I don't know. It's like the ultimate cudgel to wield against this child. If you raise a child naming them, this is worse than special. Durwood Spinks. Do you think that uh, Durwood Spinks is the man in black's real name? Oh, and he just wants to hide it because he knows Uh, it's a really... I only had one name picked out, so I had to settle for Durwood Durwood Spinks. Spinks. Durwood Spinks. What an incredible name. (laughs) It is... It's really, really good. I actually kind of love it. Well, it's one of those things where it comes full circle where it is so a, bad. It's good. Do you think we have a Durwood out in the audience the same way that we had a Bram? <laughs> I'm right again. Durwood yeah. Spinks has ruined my name yeah. forever. Well, there there was some positing in the Discord when I when I brought this fact to light of could Durwood Spinks have been a Jacob alias that he's like working in Mr. Cluck's as a fry cook to like observe Hurley during his time there. He hasn't touched him yet. Like he will in the cab, but he's like, I got to keep an eye on this guy. Let me blend in. Uh, let me pick a, a perfect name that nobody will be suspect of. Okay. I'll be Derwood Spinks. Derwood fry cook. Spinks. Well, that's just fantastic. Um, I think we're going to have to uh, occasionally refer to Jacob as Derwood <laughs> Spinks Spink. I think when we especially dislike him, yeah. we have to call him Derwood Spinks. What are you Spinks. doing, Derwood Spinks? <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like it. That's not Jacob talking. That's Derwood Spinks. Um, all right, well, let's get back to it. Uh, so Jack uh, has told Saeed this has happened before. Saeed asks to who, and we cut to Claire. Uh, and she comes to Jin. She like unlocks him from the bear trap. She kicks poor Justin to make sure he's dead. Yeah. He's not, but he's playing dead <laughs> like a pro. Yes, like Justin uh, took some lessons from Mikhail. It seems like Justin is absolutely running with this. Justin continues to be arguably the best Temple Other we have experienced so it's far. Really not in season close, six. But he is the king of the Temple Others. This guy, <laughs> King Other Justin, Koj. Yes, yes, yes he so, is. So we should note here uh, Claire's like familiarity slash casualty about all this, right? Not casualties, which she'll have later on. She's like, oh, Jin. Oh, shit. I'm sorry you stepped in that bear trap. That wasn't meant for you, but, like, good to see you, man. How's everything going? It's so good to see you. I love seeing you here. And Um, Jin's like, my leg. Uh, Why am I John Locke right now? My leg, please. Yeah, he's having a hard time. Um, This storyline stinks. This this storyline, Derwood, stinks. Uh, (laughs) I'm not a fan of of all of this. And it's a shame because... Uh, Claire as new so as you so eloquently put it uh, is like such a great concept and I think that like we really needed we really did, like I think about this more like we needed like uh, at some point, if we didn't need a full Abby Turno episode for Claire uh, here in the final season, or even in season five, some kind of check-in, I really do think it would have been useful for us as the audience. But where it would have been the most useful was for the writers to really be able to like write concentrated scenes about Claire's transformation and for uh, for Emily DeRaven to get to play that stuff out. Because she took a 
full year off from the show. And the writing took a full year off from even caring about giving Claire anything to do. Um, and that's a long time to be away from such an important character. I think that we've seen this before, not being like massively successful in the form of Michael. And the degree mm-hmm. of difficulty there is so much less than the, the about face that they're doing here for Claire. I think she really, as a character, suffers from some negligence, uh, like some creative negligence uh, that I think it's like the the character that Emily DeRaven is being tasked with playing is so different from where she was before. And it's yes. not being deeply served by the writing either, that it just doesn't quite work honestly basically ever for me um i think like it it starts off relatively poorly here in this episode and i don't know that it ever really rises too much further up um than where we get uh in this one i think that the season six claire stuff should be really really cool and unfortunately falls pretty flat I completely agree. And maybe my opinion on the personification will change. Because I remember thinking that Emily DeRaven did an okay job, but she was very much underserved by the material. Because you say, okay, she took a season off, but getting back into this part will be just like riding a bike. But because of the transition Claire has made off screen, it's like getting onto a bike with now two different shaped wheels of, okay, I sort of know how to ride this, but the circumstances have greatly changed where now I can't ride it nearly as smoothly as I did. You know, I'm the notes she just sort of got were, okay, be a little manic. And I completely agree. I think she needed to have some sort of flashback content. We needed to see what happened because what we're going to get throughout this episode is essentially a bottling in Claire's lair, the Claire lair, if you will, where we're going to hear like a lot of supposed facts from both her side and Justin's side that to be candid, I still don't know who we're supposed to believe. There's a lot of opportunities as well of I know Saeed's going to suffer from the infection and we get, begin to see how the man in black takes hold, but I feel like we, we had a prime opportunity there on our plates to watch it through Claire's perspective that we didn't really. There's just a lot of stuff that could have happened in those gap three years to watch this character go from point A to point B that they try to tell, not show, but even the telling isn't that good. No. So again, I, I, I admire Emily DeRaven for trying to rise above it, but there is a firm weight attached to her at this moment of, okay, we don't exactly know what the given circumstances are. All we know about Claire is, for lack of a better term, she's crazy. And I think especially from a 2021 perspective, and we talked about this with the Danielle Rousseau character, how much I actually admired, especially in an episode like Solitary, the nuances with which they brought to her overall character arc, Claire's arc by comparison feels incredibly obfuscated. And we'll get into that more over the course of this episode. I think they they indulge a lot of tropes with Claire of, okay, she's the crazy lady, she's gonna say these things. Yeah, I think that like they just don't do it uh, such justice. Uh, I think you're right. I think that the the way they presented Danielle across, uh, you know, her appearances on the show is just it was more thoughtful. And I think we rush into it with Claire. And I just don't think that like, I think it's it's so much to ask of Emily to Raven to like, you know, she's an actor, so her job is to play different characters, right? Like, that is something that's in her skill set, that is her training, um, but there is this strange, there's this strange aspect to it, I can imagine, of, like, you are 
playing the same literal character, but you are effectively playing a different character, yet you have to find like the common thread between the two. And also you haven't gotten to play this character in a year Mm -hmm. is a lot to ask, uh, especially on a fast paced network show when the schedule is really grueling. So you don't have a lot of time to like stop down, get it right. Like it's not like uh, a prestige HBO drama or even more um, a movie where even though it's a a shorter runtime than a season of TV, you have so much time to get things right. You've got like six months of, of production or whatever. Like there's no time to really get this right. And I think it's just asking for, for too much without having there being some onboarding process. Um, so I think like that is like sort of like my armchair cue being of why I don't think the Claire stuff particularly mm. works well and why I don't think the, the performance is great, but I don't think it's really uh, Emily DeRaven's fault, at least not entirely. Like I think it was a lot to ask. It was just so yeah. much to ask for her to, to play this character. Yeah, and I think, you know what, well, let's add this to the list of radio dramas that we want. I, I would love uh, sort of the three years that Claire spent yeah, in the jungles, starting with when she sees her dad and her dad takes her into the cabin. Because again, I would love to find out, for example, why does she think that John Loki and her dad are two different people? Why does John Loki decide to appear as him, you know, as Locke? Additionally, and then say that he is not John Locke. Like, that is a relationship that I feel like isn't really fleshed out. What about Claire breaking into the staff, it seems, to get everything? What about this, this, you know, sort of relationship with the others? I would love to see how the man in black truly corrupts by, you know, being the Iago to her Othello and whispering in her ear all of these mistruths. There's there's a lot of, like, rich, meaty stuff that could have existed there from a character that's been around since the beginning, but because the final season was a servant to many masters in some sort of way, I appreciate the gesture to bring Claire in, but I think, unfortunately, she suffers from too many mouths to feed, and she comes in with so many questions that I imagine she was asking. The writers just kind of had to be like... We can't really answer them right now. We have so many other things we're doing at the moment. Uh, Claire stuff kind of has to take something on the back burner. She is uh, a little out. She's she's off her rocker because she thinks the others have Aaron. That's all you need to know. Um, okay, let's go back to the temple. Hurley is a man on a mission, and somebody is going to try and stop him on his mission. And an incredible scene, maybe the best Dogen scene short of one other occurs. Let's listen in sound number one. What are you doing? Nothing. We're just... You know, looking, because I'm a big fan of temples and, like, history, Indiana Jones stuff. You shouldn't be here. Go back to the courtyard. Well, you can do what you want. Tell him you're a candidate. I'm a candidate, and I can do what I want. Who told you that? doesn't matter why don't you go back to the courtyard what do you say you don't want to know what are you doing here here go go through the secret passageway like you told me i told you to bring jack with you if you ever try and get jack to do something it's like impossible I can just go myself. You have to bring him with you, Hugo. Okay, it's bad enough. You already made me write down way too much stuff, and I just lied to a samurai. Look, if you have any idea on how to get Chad to go on your little adventure, I'm listening, dude. 
I love this scene for so many reasons. One of them is, you mentioned Michael before, Josh. If Hurley was somehow put in his place during three minutes, I think things would have gone a very different way. Interesting. Uh, expand upon that, please. Well, because if you remember, Michael gets approached with the list by Miss Clue, and it's just like, here, get these four people, do whatever it takes. Hurley would be like, let me push against that for you. Can you give me some ideas mm-hmm. as to what I need to do? Like, do I have to shoot people? Would you say I should kill people what happens after i release benjamin linus like hurley's very good at the follow-up questions whereas i think due to the desperation of the situation michael just took it like no questions asked this is a great episode for hurley especially in retrospect of him becoming the leader of the island and one of the reasons is he kind of calls jacob out on his bullshit yeah right he's like i can't convince jack to do something here i can lead the horse to water but god help me if i even let a drop of water you know go on his tongue you gotta give me some ammo here man work with me a little bit right uh yeah i mean i think that this episode is another great example of like why hurley is for sure the right person to take charge of this place uh he is like he's a he's a good-hearted person he doesn't he does follow instructions carefully uh but not without like uh without some not without a critical eye right you know yeah. like he he will interrogate the process a little bit uh and so like even like at this point too like he's so well worn to the ghost thing so he's not easily spooked by jacob so he has no problem just like telling a ghost what's up uh i think that the whole piss thing is ghost. really really great yeah yeah, yeah piss yeah, off I, ghost exactly well let's let's talk about dogan for a second because yeah like we said dogan gets shut down here i love hurley's why don't you go back to the courtyard and essentially using you know his own logic against him okay so we talked about this last week that there was like an assumption that maybe dogan is a candidate so is he not a candidate if jacob isn't appearing to him using that logic like wouldn't wouldn't dogan have seen jacob yeah instead of just having him behind him talking to hurley the entire time yeah i mean i guess uh like are we asking if dogan is a candidate right because there are some suppositions that one of the candidates has a last name that some believe is dogan's true identity so I guess that would be debunking this theory. That. Yeah, I, w- I don't really see it personally. I think that for Dogen, it is much more uh, a situation that he is like the emissary of Jacob here in the temple uh, and certainly seems to know a whole lot more than uh, Jacob's other ambassador. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if we're talking about like the corporate ladder, right? He is the assistant to the supervisor, and then Richard's like the the uh, or the associate, and Richard's like the assistant. He's one ring lower because he uh, he gets turned away by the mention of a candidate. It should be mentioned here that to answer Hurley's question of what did Dogen say, apparently they translated the Japanese, and it's "You are lucky that you are protected because if you were not protected, I would cut your head off." Wow. Yeah, Dogen's intense, dude. Dogen sucks. Yeah, bad, Dogen, bad d- he doesn't want you snooping. Uh, otherwise, like, snitches don't get stitches. No. They have to get their heads stitched back on. You can't even do that. Um, so, Jacob is telling Hurley, you gotta bring Jack with you. And so, we get that scene that we listened to at the top of the episode, which is really fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love the music, too. Yes. Like, it's, um, it's almost feels like a little different, like a spy movie, where Hurley tries to surreptitiously sit down and be like, all right, I'm gonna get up in 10 seconds. You follow me. And initially, of course, Jack's like, now! Why would I do that? Yeah. But Hurley gives this the secret code. You have what it takes. You have what it takes. Yeah, that's that's uh that's like the Manchurian candidate code. Like that's what gets Jack to go. Yeah. The 
the the secret phrase that turns him into uh, the the person he needs to be. You have what it takes. You'll know what that means. Indeed, I do. Let's go see Jacob. Yeah, and I do like how Hurley also compares Jacob to Obi-Wan because there are some similarities, particularly their ability to only give out information after they're dead. Yeah. Right. Like, I do feel like Jacob's like, oh, oh, Jack, by the way, you have a sister, <laughs> you know, like he yes. would be the type of person that would only give away secrets once he's dead and the clothes are in a pile at the bottom of the Death Star. Yeah. Like, I do think for sure that there are um, there are things that both Obi-Wan and Jacob could be doing differently from beyond the grave. And yet this is what we get and this is what we have to work with. So we're going to work with what we've got. Um, all right. So that mission is underway. Um, meanwhile, Jin wakes up in Claire's camp and he hobbles around and he sees just the grossest thing ever. <laughs> it's finally here. The flippin' squirrel baby. See, like this stuff is just not doing Claire any favors. I have like some measure of like nostalgia affection for the squirrel baby, but it's also <laughs> like she's crazy. Yeah, look how unhinged she is. She's got a baby that she squirrel skeleton that she thinks is a baby. I mean, you mentioned uh grossness. I actually think the grossest thing from this episode are the close-ups on Jin's nasty leg wound the entire time. I did not yeah. need that personally. I mean, we've gotten enough with Locke, but yeah, this is unfortunately the, hey, if there was a crazy woman on the island, what would happen? And so, there's the the squirrel babies in the bassinet that she stole from uh, the staff that they once had set up for her. Like, she's filled her stuff with a bunch of detritus and other things. So, yeah, it doesn't really flesh out the character for me. As much as like, wow, Claire's gone off the deep end that now she's fashioned a bunch of furs together and calls it her baby. It's stupid. I hate it. Uh, the squirrel baby is just so weird. It's a great meme, but it yeah. is still just a mistake. It feels uh, more like something out of The Walking Dead, if we're being honest. Like, I yeah. think Claire very much invokes that style, right? Of like the gritty, almost post apocalyptic fallout yeah. style. And I think this is in that realm of being. To be honest, a little farcical. Um, yeah. Oh, she's so OTT that she has a baby that she keeps, but it's actually not a baby. It's a mass of bones. Yeah, it's a mass of bones. Uh, this damn squirrel baby. Look who's alive. Claire brings in Justin, king of the others, who was faking it. He was just pretending. Um Justin, what a legend, this guy. He looked so dead. He wasn't dead. I was fooled. Now, wait a minute. This is interesting. Now, admittedly, I have Star Wars on the brain, Josh, but, 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 here's my theory. Could this be a Padme Queen Amidala situation where Dogen is not in charge of the others, Justin is, and he just got sent out on the wrong mission and is going <laughs> to die here? Oh, uh, well, that makes me sad to consider, but also a little bit more heartened because um, Justin is definitely cooler than Dogen, and yet uh, the way Aldo was speaking to Justin, unless nobody knows that Justin's like the secret <laughs> king of the others. That could be a thing as well, right? Where Derwood Spinks is like, oh, Derwood well, nobody Spinks. should nobody should know that, that there's a leader here, so we're gonna set up a fake leader, but you're the real leader, but nobody can know about it. Don't keep, don't you know, be loose-lipped about it like this whole candidates thing, okay? This one you really need to keep secret, Justin. I love Justin. I love that Claire's like she she leaves. She's like getting stuff prepared to like torture Justin with. Uh, this is after Jin says, "Have you been alone this whole time?" She goes, "Oh, I'm not alone. Don't worry." 
I'll tell you about my friend in a little while. Uh, and she leaves and Justin looks at Jin's like, we're going to have to kill her. Uh, if we don't, if we don't get out of here now and kill her, she will kill the two of us. Uh, yeah. Justin knows what's up. Yeah, but Jin is still trying to speak for Claire, right? He's like, no, I know her. At this moment, I don't think, despite looking at the squirrel baby, I think he still has some semblance of like, I think she's still cool. Uh-huh. I think I could get through to her. I watched her give birth to her baby. Like, we had a moment there. Yeah, this is a tough episode for I felt, I felt, I felt the belly when I was offering urchins to her in the pilot. Mm-hmm. I remember that. I was there for that. Um, Hurley and Jack walking through the jungle. There's Kate who nearly blows Jack's head off with a gun. Imagine if, if like, how does the ending look different? Very Kate different. Just completely one one hit KOs Jack right here by shooting a bullet straight through his head. Yeah, very, very, uh, very, very different show if Kate shoots Jack here. <laughs> oh, I should have uh, saved a bullet. I should have saved the bullet. Yeah, uh, she's loading up on the water. Like she's on her way back to the temple. Obviously, they're on their own. Everybody's on their own journey. Is basically what we're grokking from this uh, from this moment. Um, and Jack is telling uh, Kate that Claire's not back at the temple. Something happened uh, to Claire, apparently. Uh, and so you should come with us. And and her always like whoa 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 whoa. She's not invited. Uh, yeah, Jacob this is this is a. Again, going back to the whole three minutes comparison, right? Kate is Saeed in this moment. And Hurley's like, no, 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 he wasn't on the list. Uh, yes. Kate can't come. No girls allowed. Boys club. Uh, so she's, But she's fine. She's like, don't worry, you go. I hope you find what you're looking for. I'm on my own thing right now. So everybody's just like on their own missions at this point in time. Uh, so yeah. very brief Kate sighting. And I think like uh, uh, Jack and Hurley are just like, all right, I guess it's just going to be the two of us for a while. This is one of the vibes of season six, though, is like, um, as we're, you know, crashing towards the end of the show, so many people just have their own missions that they need to take care of. Um, Some of them are more entertaining and enjoyable to watch and thought-provoking than others, but I do like that energy of, like, this show that is about, like, a coming together of strangers and we have more in common than we think is still very alive and well in this season. But in order to, like, to get to that point, there is a degree of which, like, but you also need to figure out your shit. Uh, mm. And so I like that that is sort of, um, like, a narrative energy that's happening here, which was, like, a little tighter. But I think, like, the yeah. idea behind it's pretty good. I mean, for lack of a better term, while season one is about them living together, this se- season six might be more about not necessarily them dying alone, but I think going off on their own. Every man for themselves is working here. Like, everyone has their own mission to accomplish. Everyone came back to the island for a purpose, as opposed to season one where they were thrown together and trying to survive. Here it's, okay, I have my own individual mission to accomplish, and maybe I don't necessarily need other people for that. Alright, so after this, we go to the sideways. Jack is going to go to his childhood house where his mother, Margot lives, and they're going to have the following conversation. Sound number two! We're never going to find it. Take it easy, Mom. It's somewhere in here, and we'll find it. It's like a needle in a damned haystack. Why your father wouldn't just give his will to his lawyer is beyond me. Well, why would he make it easy on us now? You want a drink? Uh, no. No, no thanks. Good for you. How's David holding up? He was really upset at the funeral. He was? He didn't tell you. No. No, I didn't. Communication is not one of his strong suits. Well, it runs in the family. 
When you were David's age, your father was lucky if he could get more than one word out of you at a time. That's because I was terrified of him, Mom. How do you know David isn't terrified of you? <sighs> Why would he be? I don't know, Jack. Maybe you should ask him. Found it. Last will and testament. Jack? Yeah. Did your father ever mention a Claire Littleton? Josh, that is a wrap on Marco Shepard. Yeah, series wrap. Uh, yeah, I know Claire Littleton. She's the psycho currently cooking metal on the island that she's going to force feed to Justin. Oh, that's the torture. I'm going to melt down this metal and force you to drink it. Like, that's Game of Thrones stuff right there. Yeah, she doesn't even do that. She's just, like, melting metal for some reason or heating up metal for no reason at all. Um, well, it's, it's to sterilize it. But I think my logic is more so that Claire is so... Uh, in her own feelings that she is now eating metal to yeah, survive. Yeah. Uh, I've been eating metal these past three years. It's been really hard. And now she's like Magneto. Like she can actually control Ooh. the electromagnetic energy even more so than Desmond. That would be pretty cool. Um, uh, sad to, to say goodbye to Margot Shepard. I think that I, I always enjoyed her when she would come onto the show. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird. I think she's only in like three or four episodes, right? Because we saw her in White Rabbit, which is another reason why this scene pops up. We saw her when she greeted Jack uh, at in There's No Place Like Home. And then here, Lostpedia is so much fun, but sometimes they have the most random details. Here's one, Josh. I'm sure you did not see this whatsoever, but the ever-vigilant eyes at Lostpedia did. Margot pouring her glass of wine mirrors Anthony Cooper pouring his glass of wine in The Man from Tallahassee. I did not uh, imagine that. Um, nope, okay. could have could have fooled me. I could've listen. Me. I, I think there there's some A resonance scene there. Is uh, do you know who Claire Littleton is? Sorry, mom. Could you repeat that? And then she just like tackles Jack out the window, yeah. <laughs> and he falls one story. Yeah, yeah he falls one story. <laughs> Ow, my butt. Oh, oh mom, I now I need butt surgery. I can't yeah. feel my butt. Uh, but I think there's something big in here about. Um, uh, David's not talking to you because he's terrified of you in the way that you were terrified of your dad. Why? Yeah. And I think like that's especially poignant when you when you look at David as not his own person, but Jack, right? Like a version of Jack. Um, like what are what is what would the young you be so scared of about the adult you? You know, like who you became. Like what what's what's in here? This is like a uh, this is a, a therapist's dream. Libby would love to work with this stuff. Uh, if only she was in season six. Yeah, it's a really interesting perspective that this is an episode that has really had me view it a profoundly different way since becoming a father. Granted, I did not give birth to a literal amalgamation of myself, but I guess I did from a DNA perspective, I suppose. But, you know, when you become a parent, there is always that thought that glances your mind of how closely equivalent you want to parent your child 
in a way that mimics the way that you were parented. And obviously Jack has had that thought and he is in vehement denial that he is parenting anywhere close to Christian Shepherd, right? He's like, I don't understand why David is, you know, not talking to me. Like I made sure I'm doing the exact opposite of what dad is. I'm trying to be emotionally welcome. But I think what he is realizing is what he's perceived is not exactly the way that he's behaving. And I think that's incredibly significant. Again, this idea that he created this younger version of himself that is in fear of himself. This idea of, I feared I would become my father, and I worked tooth and nail to make sure that I didn't, but I ended up doing so at the end of the day. You know, that he's going to eventually come to that main revelation at the end in that really beautiful conversation with David, which we'll certainly play. But I think this is a big step towards that. A Margot coming from this external opinion saying, no, you don't realize that this is essentially the same way you were acting. I certainly experienced this. Uh, Asher is certainly going through some behavioral moods at the moment, and uh, he was recently with my parents. And my parents were like, oh yeah, you were just like him at your age. I obviously have no recognition of that. I, in fact, thought, okay, I definitely did not, I, you know, Asher's uh, acting out, but he's not acting out as much as I did, but apparently that's not the case. We don't remember a lot when we were itty-bitty babies, Josh, and so I think that having that, that external reasoning come in can shock you awake in many ways yeah uh i think that that's all very astute um and i and i love the way that that um a lot of that plays out here in this episode uh like i think like you see a lot of those dynamics um if only thematically i think you could see a lot of that play out uh across the the rest of uh the rest of lighthouse it's um, is christian shepherd just taking like a, a green and white envelope that the will and testament was written in and just writing last will and testament across it in charlie brand sharpie is that a move out of christian shepherd's playbook in your opinion i don't know but one thing that cracks me up is uh margo margo shepherd will never find this last will and testament it's a needle in a haystack also margo checks one shelf oh it's here yeah, it's very much like I've looked everywhere and I can't find it. Like, did, right you, here. did you check again? Oh, yeah, it's right here. Sorry, yeah, I had I you come over. I was holding it the whole time. Yeah, I'm it's like the, the equivalent of the glasses on yeah, her head. Yeah, I had it in my hand the whole time. I didn't realize. Uh, okay, so Claire's prepping hot metal, sharpening her axe. Uh, and my MVP, Justin, is telling Jen, she's going to kill us. You have to untie me. I will break her neck and we will run. Jane should be like, hey, listen, once upon a time, a guy was tied up and broke someone's neck with his legs. Why don't you try that, dude? Yeah. And like, to Jen's credit, like, he's not going to, like, let Claire die for Justin, you know? <laughs> and so, like, Justin's pitch maybe needs some work. But, like, he also is like, I'm like, like, we're in big trouble right now um, because Claire is convinced that um, Justin and the Temple others have Aaron. They once had her captive. She shows like she's been branded. She was shot by them. She had to stitch herself back up um, like she's giving us a lot of like that backstory that like aligns with what we saw happen to Saeed. Uh, and we know that according to Dogen, at least, um, the malevolence was within her at one point in time. Um, so she's like kind of like talking about all of that. And so she's really not feeling it with Justin. Um, and she tells Jin, yeah, about her friend. My friend told me that they took him. Who's your friend? My friend. Uh, all right. So, yeah, let's talk about this. In my opinion, one of the reasons why this doesn't work is because this plot line, in my opinion, is used to service that final reveal. 
Like, you wonder, why can't they go literally anywhere besides the makeshift shelter that Claire has made? Yeah. It's because they have to camp down for three or four scenes to get this big reveal of, gas, my friend was John Loki the entire time. Right. And so, as a result, it's them treading water, essentially. It's them just sort of sitting there and talking, which works sometimes on Lost, where there's heightened tension there. But I don't feel much tension there. Maybe it's because one of the characters we really do not care about whatsoever. Maybe it's because we haven't seen Claire in a while. Maybe it's because despite the story that Claire is telling, we don't know how much of it is true. I will say this is, again, another sign of how they're just saying insert crazy phrases here. And it really comes in the form of one thing, Josh. When Claire turns to Jin and says, you're still my friend, aren't you? Like, cross off that square on the crazy person bingo card, right? I feel like every time they write a mentally unstable person on television or movies, they always have that, right? The, you're still my friend, aren't you? It feels very like Jack Torrance from The Shining, including with the axe included. It just feels, again, a little hackneyed, especially compared to, again, the way they really slow-dripped Danielle Rousseau throughout all of Solitary, they really fast track a lot of Claire here and it feels almost stereotypical in some regards. Yeah, it's just a it's a lot. And like just like we're we're at the man in the boat all over again. Um, L- and luckily this doesn't take like six it, episodes it to do- get to. It doesn't and so and you can also pretty easily like assume who the friend is because we know that she was with Christian Shepherd. We know that Christian Shepherd wasn't Christian Shepherd probably at least we know that that's uh, the guy who's running around as John Locke. So you can like connect this in a way where you don't even have to like have like uh been like at comic-con or heard about comic-con announcing the return of harold parano you know like uh there's no like meta involved you can just read the show and the show is basically telling you who this guy is then they play it as a reveal at the end of the episode and like it's like a chilling shot when he walks through the tent but it's also like this isn't a twist like this is like this is her friend obviously uh like mm-hmm. the way that she says this isn't john this is my friend it's like yeah no we got it uh yeah. you know yeah, we, we knew we knew it wasn't john Locke yeah. the entire time <laughs> figured that out um jack and hurley are in the jungle um hurley says i'm sorry for wrecking your game with kate uh he says, there's nothing left to wreck hurley uh, and hurley's surprised that they didn't get married and have kids uh and thinks that jack would be a great dad even though jack thinks he himself would be a terrible dad which is very yeah. very sad it um, is i mean listen i i'll admit i find that relatable uh i will admit until i had asher i was someone who never saw myself having kids partly because i never thought of someone like myself dealing with the prospect of children but i do think it's also a, a matter of like you never know until you try Though, again, Jack did sort of try with Aaron in something nice back home, and we saw how, like, his own ego and paranoia overwhelmed any sense of parroting. So I I suppose he does have some form of evidence there, but this is also doubling down on the Hurley stuff from the end of season five, right? Like, when they're sitting in the cafeteria and Hurley's like, oh, yeah, what happened between you two? I thought you crazy kids would work out. Hurley is the biggest Jack-Kate shipper on the island by far. Uh, Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, Even more so than Jack and Kate. Yeah. Um... So Hurley and Jack uh, are going to make a discovery. They're going to rediscover some familiar terrain. Let's listen in. Sound three. What is that? Asthma inhaler. Dude, it's Shannon's. We're at the caves. Caves you used to live in? I totally forgot these were in here, man. 
time traveled again to like dinosaur times. And then we died and then we got buried here. What if these skeletons are us? What's that? tell you how I found this place? You were looking for water, right? No. I was chasing the ghost of my dead father. <laughs> he led me here. That was his coffin. Before I smashed it to pieces. Why'd you do that? Because he wasn't in it. So one thing is clear, Josh. Why'd you do, Maybe do, 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 do that? <laughs> oh no, poor Cole is <laughs> passing sorry, out. Sorry. You right got Survivor there. back on the brain. Yeah, uh, and yeah. one thing is clear, Josh. A one five. Maybe it's better they left the cave behind because it didn't seem like they cleaned up anything. Like they still left the smashed up coffin. I'm assuming that creepy box of stolen dolls is still hanging out there as oh, well. Definitely. Obviously, the skeletons, like they did not touch a thing when they went to live there. Yeah. Um, it must have been pretty smelly at the caves then, huh? I mean, I would imagine so for various reasons. I'm not sure what the bathroom situation was Got like. That dead body stank. Yeah. Uh, though, you know. In this case, it's a thousand years of dead bodies. So maybe all the smells cancel each other out. I will say, I think while I agree, as you mentioned before, with placing across the sea first in the, the viewing order, I, I do think this doesn't work with that episode coming before it. Because now that we know what the eventual reveal is, like it makes sense in the season proper because it's like, oh, here's a reminder of one of the biggest mysteries on the show. Now that we know it and what it eventually turned out to be, it's pretty hollow. This yeah. this ultimate reveal. I think. I think though. Um, I think. I think this doesn't work terribly well, no matter where you place across the sea, because I think that across the sea ending with the man in black and mother being quote unquote Adam and Eve. Um, I think like if you have it here and Hurley is putting this out there on the show of like, do we time travel and like sort of like engaging that theory, then what we end up getting is something in reality that like we couldn't have even really guessed. So, so like, why are we even like, why are we bringing that back up when like the actual answer is just not as good as that? Yeah. Um, for me, like I, I like it because I think like it, it sort of speaks to like, we are as an audience having seen across the sea at this point, if, if you watch it that way, which we did, um, we're in on something that they're not. We know something they don't know. Um, and I think like there is like, there is something, I don't know about, I don't know what the word is. It's not, it's not, um, it's not revealing. It's not like cathartic, but there is something to the idea of like, uh, there are just there there are some things we're never going to know the answer to like there's something there are some mysteries in life that like we're never going to know and i feel like us like watching them just like you know like sort of like hazard a guess as to what this is based on their experiences like theorize something that we know isn't the right answer i think that there's like something sort of cosmic about it uh hmm. you know like in the way of like 
there are answers to these big questions. They just are going to probably forever be inaccessible to us uh, until the time, and maybe not even then. Um, and I, I kind of like watching Hurley reckon with some of that. The other thing that I like, uh, as far as it pertains to like my time travel solves every unanswered question, is that Hurley's clearly expressing great interest in time travel at this point in time. It's like, oh, what mm. if we time travel to the dinosaur times, and this is some of us, these two. It's like Hurley's got time travel on the brain and this dude's going to be in charge of the island. You got to imagine that some of the things that are studded throughout the island are because of Hurley uh, being in charge once this show is over. Yeah, I'd like to imagine so, especially now that he realizes, now that he fully has his mind wrapped around what exactly time travel is, it should be notable. You know what? They went back to the cave set for the first time in a long time. Maybe they sort of forgot where to put things. Uh, I believe the skeletons are in different positions than when we first saw them. Because if I recall correctly, I don't think Adam and Eve were right next to each other in House of the Rising Sun, nor were they in, like, the vicinity of the coffin. So, uh, probably for expediency's sakes, they put them within eyeshot, but it is interesting that maybe the spooky skeletons moved while they were gone for so long. Yeah, uh, I think that's good. I think that's good. Uh, I used to really get mad at this scene. Uh, that it was like Shannon's inhaler coming back. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll get there when we watch season one again, folks. We don't need to call back this, but I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm just getting older and sadder, <laughs> you know? Uh, but like, I kind of like felt feelings watching this scene. Well, I, I think it's a good, it's good for the characters. Like, I think it's a fun time, sort of. Almost uh, in a way similar to when Sun goes back to the sort of wrecked 815 camp in the incident, right, and sees the bassinet without a squirrel baby in it as sort of a reminder of how far they've come. That I think that's Jack's moment here, but it's much more personal for Jack because he remembers how he got brought to the cave looking for his dad and seeing that empty coffin. I think it's it's important for Jack in this moment Maybe the device to drive them there is a little hokey of, oh, we finally found Shannon's inhaler. Uh, you know, we, we, we didn't necessarily need it. Thank God for Sun and her ability to find aloe on the island or whatever. But I, I think that at least if it gets them to this place where Jack's able to ruminate on a mom- another moment where he had a crisis of faith and the island spoke out to him and, and gave him guidance as to what he needed to do, I think that has some, some nice mirroring here. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, ultimately, I'm um, I'm into it. I think like some of the callbacks in this season are are actually like I I was just like sour at the time, and I think yeah. like a lot of them have turned sweet. This is one well, of them. I, I think it's if it's done for fan service, then I think it plays worse in retrospect. If it's yeah. done thematically, it plays better. Yes. Uh, if it's like oh, here's this random person coming back to play a character just because we saw them before. Uh, I guess, but if it's, hey, Jack rediscovers the place where uh, he found his dad's coffin and, you know, really asserted his leadership at a time where his morale is at an all-time low, then I think that makes it that much more weighty. Yep, I agree. Um, In the sideways, Jack comes home with, I guess that's Apollo soda in addition to I suppose a six-pack of Apollo... All right, so let's let's talk this out, Josh, because this was asked a few times, and we are among pizza experts here in the form of yourself... What do you think Jack Shepard's pizza order is? I think Jack Shepard is a standard cheese pizza guy. I think he's just basic. Like, I think Jack Shepard strikes me as a guy that to whom uh, food is fuel 
and he cares less about taste. Uh, and so I think he just orders a plain pizza and that's it. Like, I think like he doesn't think about it too hard. He gets a plain pizza. Maybe he gets a pepperoni, you know, like I think that he's like sort of like your classic, like there's two types of pizza. There's regular pizza and there's pepperoni pizza. I don't think that Jack thinks about pizza any deeper mm-hmm. than that. Um, yeah. Which is not to say I'm not trying to besmirch regular, you know, plain pizza or pepperoni pizza. Both are obviously delicious. Um, but I think like you could think about other things that you want to do with a pizza jack is not a guy who thinks he's this is not a man who like enjoys the simple pleasures of life you know jack is is like extraordinarily intense and if he's ordering pizza for dinner it's because it's easy it's reliable it's fast it's fuel it's a regular pizza in that pizza box He's a meat and potatoes guy, but not on his pizza. I agree. I think that he's not necessarily going to put a lot of care into, okay, what do I really want? Another thing is, I'm sure David likes something else. Like, I'm sure Juliet uh, gets, you know, fancy pies when he's hanging out with her three weeks out of the month. But Jack does like, a, well, David, I thought you liked pepperoni. And David's like, no, you like pepperoni, Dad. You just assumed that I did. I very much feel like Jack would do that. Yeah, I think that that tracks. Uh, so he's come home with pizza, but David is nowhere to be found. Uh, he has left. He calls David on and leaves a voicemail. It's like, I don't know why you're upset with me, but I'm sorry. But also call me back because now I'm kind of upset with you for running away. Uh, yeah, gonna- it is interesting that in the, the Margot scene we listened to, there's a poignant moment where Margot asks Jack if he wants something to drink. And he says, no, good for you. I did notice, I think, a a beer bottle in front of Jack as he's sitting at the table. It obviously wasn't something poignant, but I think it's a subtle thing about how, you know, while Jack maybe feels like he's uh, in control of his life more so than back in the day, he's teetering on the edge, I think, especially given what happened to his father. Yeah. Um, And that was that was. Yeah, he like turned Margot down, though. And I thought that that was that was progress. And I think that like. There is a Jack Shepard here in the afterlife that has found some measure of balance, right? Mm-hmm. Like he can have a beer. Um, good for you, Jack, if you're able to handle that. Um, Jack goes over to David's mother's house. We know this is Juliet's house. Uh, yeah. there, there's a key hiding underneath the bunny. That white rabbit. It'll yeah. get you. Yeah, and, al- and also, wasn't that uh, wasn't that what what the dead person told Miles to do to make his way into the apartment as well? So maybe a dead person told Jack to do it. Possible. Yeah. So David David's room is full. It's basically like a Sam Goody uh, or like a Sam <laughs> yeah. Sam Ash music uh, yes. in the in the form of a bedroom. There's so many posters. I don't know if you saw Josh. Uh, there was uh, a. a poster for the who and if you've ever seen the who's tommy you know there's a prominent song called smash the mirror uh so maybe that's a musical reminder to jack of what he once did there's also some really cute uh photo booth pictures of the two of them yeah uh i think that that's lovely i just think it's just it's very nice to see them and like there's they're just like hanging out in the photo booth taking cute pictures together must have been fun like they had to probably get that uh you know part of like the the pre-prep for this episode is get dylan minette and matthew fox in a photo booth that's fun oh you don't think it's photoshopped i think i'd like to think that they post for that i think that's like like everything else but yeah i mean it's it's a reminder to jack in this moment that he realizes his suppositions are wrong right like the fact that he has something pinned up there means that Despite his misgivings, I think David does still care about him. And he's as he snoops, he's terrified, as, as yeah. Margot pointed out. Yeah. And as he uh, starts snooping on the answering machines, luckily he doesn't find anything salacious. Uh, but he does find out where David is, that he snuck away to go audition for the Williams Conservatory, the John Ooh. Williams Conservatory. 
Da, na, na. Uh, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> you playing the Jurassic Park theme yeah, on Yeah, when Jack shows up. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, Jack da, starts da, crying. Da, 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 da. Jack's like, oh man, that scene is so great when they're driving around the park. Da, 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 da. That'd be great. Uh, Jack is going uh, to... Ah, you didn't hit the magic note. Yes, I'm afraid yes. you can't get in. <laughs> Jack is going to play a voicemail uh, that is going to bring some tears to his eyes and perhaps even ours. And we will listen to that as sound number four and it will actually rock us straight back to the island let it rip mike sound four hey david it's dad i'm uh i'm in sydney australia something something happened and i i just needed to hear your voice um i guess i'll try again later This is cool, dude. Very old school. What? You know, you and me trekking through the jungle on a way to do something that we don't quite understand. Good times. You mind if I ask you something? Sure. Why'd you come back? You know, to the island. Why'd you come back? Back in L.A., Jacob hopped into the back of my cab and told me I was supposed to, so I came. What? So if you have a better reason for coming back, let's hear it, man. I came back here because I was broken. I was stupid enough to think this place could fix me. Dude, I'm sorry. How much further we got, Hurley? It's not far. It's not far at all. It's right there. seen it before guess we weren't looking for it josh do you think jacob makes the lighthouse invisible um i i think that there uh is an argument that the lighthouse is only visible to candidates and that may be like um you know visible to candidates when they are like the capital candidates you know what i mean mm. uh where there's only just the few of them left that Jacob has like uh put his chips in into their uh into their basket. Where do you put your chips? I don't know. What what casinos are you going to where you're putting chips in baskets? Yeah. 
I don't know where you're going to put your chips, but put them there. And that's what he's doing. <laughs> um, that's sort of how I view it, uh, is that like the lighthouse is maybe only, and it's possible that the lighthouse is maybe only viewable by like the protector. And in mm. that case, both Jack and Hurley are going to be the next protectors of the island. Mm, that's an interesting point. Almost like looking forward prophetically. Can we take a second before we, we get into the lighthouse proper to talk about that voice message? Cause yes. I wanted to leave, I wanted to leave it on there because I think it's a really, really great performance from Matthew Fox. Uh, acting on the phone, any actor can tell you is one of the hardest thing to do because oftentimes there is not someone else on the other line. So right. essentially it's you having to sort of simulate that response. And I think that we don't get a lot about what happened with Jack in Australia. I guess we can assume that it's very similar to what happened in White Rabbit proper with, you know, Christian Shepard already being dead, him having to identify the body, etc. And it's really interesting that in the main timeline, Jack had nobody to call. Like, his mom forced him to go. He's not necessarily going to try to call to hear her voice and connect with her. But here he does have someone he could connect with in the form of David. And it is incredibly heartbreaking to hear Jack so broken up and reaching out to somebody. It actually reminds me, and Jim Fells makes note of this as well in his musical analysis this week, because the themes that play is very similar to when Jack calls Kate in Through the Looking Glass. Hmm. This idea of a lost, torrid soul losing someone important to them, reaching out, just being like, I just need someone else to know this. I've been through a lot. You're the only person I can reasonably talk to anymore. It's it's incredibly sad. And I think while there are maybe some other moments in this episode, mainly the Claire stuff, that doesn't do a good job of shading in what we don't know, I actually feel like in that little 30-second voicemail, Matthew Fox tells a lot about what Jack Shepard is when he's on that that 815 alternate flight. And so I just want to really give a huge kudos to Matthew Fox. Uh, this moment made me really emotional, not only making me think of my own son, but just yeah. the, the way that Matthew Fox delivers it, I think, is incredibly human and relatable in a way that showing a facet of that character that due to the proclivities of his life we hadn't seen before. Yeah. Matthew Fox is a terrific actor. Um Especially when you when you give him stuff to do, right? Like he gets yeah. served some really meaty stuff in this final season, and so he's going to make a meal out of it. But like the way that he played that, like uh, I came back here because I was broken and I was stupid enough to think this place would fix me, is so sad. Mm-hmm. It's so sad because he tried so hard, right? He's like, I'm just going to sit on my hands and do nothing until like the big neon sign shows up. And he thought he saw it and he's not wrong. Like that stuff had to happen to propel them back to where they are. So like he was right to wait until that thing and to push for that thing. That's what brings them back to the now and allows for the end game to occur. Cause all of that always happened and he needed to follow that through. Um, but he takes it as yet another like, cosmic falling on your face uh yep. that's that's not what this is it's painful progress often is um and uh like forward momentum often is and he's like taking it as such a wound right now but it's in a, it's in this way where it's less about like the self-defeatist like i'm going to just like destroy myself uh like flash forward jack shepherd that we got which is now oddly in the past uh, <laughs> this is this is like a different form of that this is less about the self-pity this is like there is like there's like a wakefulness to what he is saying he's still not seeing the full picture 
But when he yeah. says, I was broken, he's not wrong. And I was stupid enough to think that this place would fix me. Um, I think he's not wrong about that either, because it's not this place that will fix Jack. It's that it's not about being fixed, you know? That's mm. not a thing that you need to like. It's not about like I need to fix myself. It's about I need to accept myself and I need to, I need to be myself. And like those are the things that he will by the end of the show. I think come to feel more connected to. Uh, that, certainly, yeah. that's how I view it anyway. No, that's a really interesting way of looking at things because the way I read it is less so about fixing and more so becoming whole. Uh, like having this missing piece and trying to figure out what that is. And so from that perspective, I had a new read on this. And obviously, I don't want to go against, obviously, what David Lindelof put out there was his intentions. I know what David is supposed to represent. But also, in my opinion, David is kind of the island here uh, in that in both of these stories, Jack feels like he needs to connect with something to become a whole person again, to make him feel like he has a devout purpose. In the main timeline, it's the island. He has lost faith with it. This is, again, his John Locke postseason two stuff where he feels like he doesn't have a purpose anymore. Now he needs to start realizing that he was indeed brought here for a reason. Yeah. In the Sideways universe, he needs to connect with David. He's literally not communicating with him. Once they get on the same page, he's able to then proceed forward. And obviously, from a psychological perspective, it's more so uh, checking a box that has left very much unchecked his entire life. But I do find some interesting... Uh, some interesting sort of uh, syn uh, symmetry there with, okay, here's Jack feeling like he's broken or he's missing something. And in both cases, it's connecting with a person or a thing that is going to finally make him feel fulfillment and also realize what he needs to do. Yeah. Here's what Claire needs to do. Um, how about we just listen to what Claire needs to do? Sound number five, Mike. <gasps> <sighs> Tell me where my son is. I don't know who your son is. Stop covering for them. They're not going to help you anymore. All you got to do is just tell me the truth. I am telling you the truth. We don't have your kid. We never had your kid. Stop lying to me. Your people took me to the temple and tortured me. No, we captured you because you were out here in the jungle picking our people off. Claire, wait. Hold on. Hold on? Jin, they stuck me with needles. They branded me. And if I hadn't been able to escape from the temple, they would have killed me. No, you're not remembering. Look, shut up, okay? Right. You've got one more chance. One more chance. Just tell me where my son is. I don't know where your damn kid is. She, she took him. Kate took Aaron. She took him with her when she left the island. What do you mean she took him? He's been with her, with Kate, for the past three years. Aaron is three. He's telling you the truth. We had nothing to do with this. So if you just untie me, I'll leave. And I promise I will never tell anyone I ever even saw you. Just untie me.
You know, listening back, it sounds so squishy. It's so squishy. He's totally faking it, right? He's not really dead. Well, I mean, yeah, he's shown fantastic acting skills before. I mean, Claire didn't hit him in the heart. Looks like he just, like, hit him in the rib. That doesn't cause an insta-kill. Yeah. Yeah, he's alive. I believe it. We never see Justin again, but that's because, like, uh, they abandon this camp, and then he just, like, he's holding his breath the whole time. Mm -hmm. And then they abandon the camp, and he, like, starts breathing again, like, oh, my God. Oh my god, I, I gotta get uninvolved in all of this. And he goes and like hangs out with Rose and Bernard and Vincent for the rest of his life. Oh, that's interesting. Justin's sort of like their Yumi and Dupree yeah. of just like crashing on their couch. Yeah, Yumi and Justin. <laughs> Doesn't ring as well. So yeah, this, this is where I was talking before again about whose side are we supposed to take? You know, whose right. story is this? Because we get... Okay, well, we know that Claire's, uh, you know, story's a little bit affected. She thinks that the others have Aaron, which is factually incorrect. But then the others, as Claire brings up, also try to brand and kill her like they did with Saeed. So it's like, okay, I guess the answer is they were both in the wrong from this perspective. I'm, I'm still not entirely sure. The best thing about this conversation, to be candid, is that Jin's attempt to bring Claire down is to bring up the fact that Aaron is three years I old. I love that so much. Uh, yeah, Kate took Aaron when she left three years ago. Aaron is three. Aaron <laughs> would be three even if he was at the temple. Aaron I love is it so three. much. My God, game changer. Screw the friend. This was how the episode <laughs> needed to end it. Three. Just going, yeah. lost. Wow. Uh, a real missed opportunity, Mike, to not call this episode Three Minettes. <laughs> <laughs> Just instead, uh, they're triplets. It's David. Yeah. It's David. David it's David, Dylan and, David. and, Dur- and Durwood. <laughs> and Durwood. David, Dylan, and Durwood Minette. <laughs> the Sphinx. They're, they're the Durwood Sphinx. Yeah, they're the they're, they're the uh, the Jack Shepard trio or oh the Shepard triplets God. performing three together. Three Minettes. You have three Minettes. <laughs> Aaron is three is such a dumb line I hate it I love it it's, so much this, this is not a good episode for Jin let me it's be completely candid Jin episode. here it's a bad like I get it though like Jin is a little bit us of being like bewildered by what's going on we should uh, also mention though speaking of being bewildered Claire does not bat her eyelashes at the fact that Jin speaks English like yeah. completely fluently considering the last time they saw each other yeah we're just we're just blasting right past that there there could have been like a wow Jin your English is really good uh line I do think like there is like a connector here that's kind of fun just to just to note is that like um Jin uh now has like a connection to old Rousseau and new Rousseau. Mm, that's a good point. You know yeah. that he was there uh to witness uh her story as a teenager. Here he is with Claire. Um so that's just kind of cool. Um but yeah, she just kills Justin. That's a big deal. Oh, unless she doesn't kill him. Yeah, well either way she she hits him in the chest with an axe with the intent to kill at the very yes. least. Exactly. Uh, which shows that, again, as much as Jin might think he has, you know, he knows this Claire. He very clearly does it. And we we don't really, for that matter. No, not quite. Um, okay, so that's a big deal. Um, so we go back to the lighthouse very briefly just to watch Jack one-shot the door. He just kicks it <laughs> wide open. Yeah, like another pop culture Jack. He's able to bust his way into a lighthouse real quick. He, yeah, he just straight up bowers the, the door. Um, at, in the sideways, uh, we will see the piano recital uh, and Jack getting emotional watching uh, David play. 
Did you see the sign on the the little board as they go in? No, what did it say? Welcome all candidates. Wow. Yeah, that's it. It's a it's a nice little cool effect here of again, Jack uh sort of manifesting this future for himself or this this faith for himself that he didn't even realize. But I really like this. I really like the fact that uh David plays piano. Not only is that going to call forward to Daniel Widmore of it all, but also we remember that Jack himself likes to play right. piano. Uh we saw this in uh Do No Harm. We saw this when he was staying with the others yeah. as well. And we talked about I think that idea of what a piano represents. And also, I should also note here that apparently the song that David plays is the same one that young Daniel Faraday plays in the beginning I of can the variable make time. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a fun thing. I mean, maybe it's just them lazily repurposing classical music, but I think that's a fun connector as well, especially with this idea of like parents keeping you at arm's reach for various yeah. reasons. I don't think Jack was like, uh, well, I need to do this because I'm going to kill David in the future or in the past. But I think that it is a, a similar idea of frosty parent child relationships through this one piece of classical music. Yeah, and I think, like, if you're looking at David as an expression of Jack, I think it's, like, in this moment, you can imagine, like, Jack could wake up here almost, right? Like, he's, mm-hmm. like, reconnecting with himself. Like, this is something that, like, in his heart, he wished maybe he could have done. Maybe his life would have been happier if he didn't just get into the family business because he felt he had to prove something to his dad and instead was just able to do what he loved uh, and something that he was good at and something he felt great about. Um, and uh, getting to see see. David play that I think for Jack must be like um, you know like I, he's still he's he's working through all of those uh, all of those steps to get to that place of self acceptance that I think you get a, a big dose of in um, what will be our penultimate sound we're not quite there yet um but uh this scene in the sideways ends with Dogen is here and Dogen's kid is here and he says these kids are too young for this kind of pressure yeah it's hard to watch and be unable to help but even in the flash sideways, Josh, Dogen is still vague and unhelpful. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, your son has a gift. Bye. Uh, do you think inside his jacket he was holding onto his shirt the Definitely. entire time? 100%. Uh, could never let go of the shirt. Um, I don't know who I would prefer to be in this moment um, to like be the person who would be saying something like that here. Maybe if it was like uh, if we already had like... No, because Dr. Linus is not Alex's dad. I was going to say Dr. Linus here could have been good with Alex at the recital or something like that, but that's not quite right. Um, I'm not sure who is a better person to be here in this moment than Dogen, um, but there's got to be somebody and it's just not immediately coming coming to the... Well, here's an idea. Could it not be a character in this plane of existence could it be a little bit of, of white rabbit leaking it? Could it be like a voice whispers behind Jack, like your son has a gift. And then he hears like, uh, you know, good job, kiddo. And he thinks it's Christian Shepherd, and he turns around and he isn't there. I like that. Cause like, I, I love that dynamic, but I think one of the things that the show, uh, succeeds in, in its final season is like delaying the Christian Shepherd return so that when he does come back, it's just in that final scene mm. and it's uh, so impactful because he's been gone for so long. So I think like you still need him at arm's reach. Uh, like he's still like, he's just like too important to the unlocking process. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh what's up? Could it be Michael? Ooh. Yeah, that and could like, be interesting. And Walt is playing, and yeah, Walt is- it is it is trash that uh, that Michael and Walt are not seen in the sideways. 
And especially if Michael tells Jack that his son has a gift, I think that has so many layers to it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. I like that. I think that's good. And that would have been like, a, oh my God, Michael, he's here. Like, that could have been cool. I like that. I think that's good. And, and especially if Michael's storyline revolved around Walt, that sort of is like a closure to his own storyline too, right? Because yep. like, if the assumption is he found satisfaction with Walt, uh, then, you know, if we reflect that a little bit in their relationship, it could have it been a cool thing to do. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, okay, uh, so that happens in the sideways. Let's go back into the lighthouse. Uh, Jack's gonna wreck shop. What's listening? Sound number six. Stop. Do you see that? I see what? The mirror. I saw something in the mirror. It's just ocean. to 23 degrees. Well, I, I don't think Jacob wants... He's been watching us. Early. Where's Jacob? I don't know. You said that he would be here. Well, I was just kind of assuming. Early. I want to know why he was watching me. I want to know. So you're going to ask him right now. He doesn't work like that, I told you. He just kind of shows up whenever he feels like it. Why was he watching? I don't know. Why is my name written down on this thing? He didn't tell me. What does he want from me? Are we supposed to do What does he want from me? I don't know, Jack! No! So is that 21 or 28 years bad luck? Like, does it stack? 108 oh, okay. years of bad luck. Oh, my goodness. Well, a good lot thing of he, years of bad luck. Maybe that's the reason why Jack decides to die, you know, yeah. a few days afterwards. Like, oh, I don't want to stay here for another 108 yeah, years. Uh, it's certainly one of the 13 reasons why. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Uh, you know what? Actually, let me let me rebut even what I said earlier on this podcast. I said that Jack and Sawyer had two very different reactions to the whole candidate thing. I'm actually going to disagree with myself there because I think Jack has a response akin to like the way the man in black pitches the idea of candidacy to Sawyer, right? This idea of this realization, at least from Jack's perspective, that Jacob has been watching them all along, studying and observing them, pulling strings to get them into this particular place so he could use them for some sort of purpose. 
And that is something that the man in black is saying. That's why I have to leave, James. I don't want you to come with me. And it's a reason why Jack rages against the machine here, essentially, and says, you know, this is the reason why I'm here. This right. is why I've gone through all of this. Right. Screw you, dude. I'm going to wreck shop. <laughs> Ream? Yeah. And he reams the mirrors. Miriam. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, I think that there's a commonality between Jack and Sawyer here. But I think, like, I think it's funny because, like, um, I think both of their reactions out loud are dishonest. Um, where, you know, for Jack, he's going to say, like, this is, this is bullshit and he's going to break all the mirrors and, like, storm out, right? He rage quits the lighthouse. But then he goes and he sits and sort of the Jack that we get from that moment forward is somebody who's, like, who's, who gets to have that moment of sitting out and watching the ocean and, like, sort of restabilizing. Whereas with Sawyer, Sawyer's going to take it all on. He's going to say to, to John Logie, hell yeah, like, hell yeah, I'm with you. But he doesn't really mean that, I don't think. Uh, ultimately. So I think mm-hmm. like there is like this, there's this level of like processing this information for both of these guys that leads to like vocal dishonesty uh, and mm. is like in defiance of how they're actually reacting um, to finding this stuff out where like um, Sawyer is like, okay, hell yeah, I'm going to abandon this responsibility and I'm just going to be totally team bad guy from here on in. And in reality, it's like, I acknowledge the responsibility. I reject it. And I'm also rejecting this terrifying person who I want nothing to do with. Uh, And for Jack, it's like, I reject that. I've just been like dragged here and that none of my choices actually mattered. And then when he's alone, I think he's like, no, my choices do matter and probably still really, really now, especially matter moving forward. So I think, I think that there's uh, the contradictions are very much in play here. Let's talk about the actual lighthouse set, Josh, because this is it's the cool. one and only time we see it. It it's it's, cool. probably, it's probably my favorite new set from season six. I yeah. just because I like no offense to the temples and all that stuff, but I think the temples and like the caves and everything just take on a very dark, dirgy brown quality, mostly because it's usually shrouded in darkness. It feels good to have a lost set for once in a while that's actually bathed in light. Yeah. And maybe that speaks towards the whole Jacob Lighthouse versus Man in Black cave of it all as well. Like I love the ocean view. Uh I just love getting a look at the architecture of it all. I think the mirrors are really cool as well. Just like the concept. As mythical as it is, like there is no scientific basis in any of this whatsoever. It's actually more religious uh, because it actually reminds me a bit of uh, Prester John, uh, which apparently is like a mythical Christian king who apparently had a mirror uh, that allowed him to survey all of his lands. I guess Jacob sort of has this as well, but his land, everything the light touches is the entire world because Jack has his childhood home. Uh, the little pagoda that we pass is actually where Jin and son get married yep. that Jacob's going to touch them both on. So evidently it's a, it's a mirror that can see, I don't know. I don't think it can see through, through time, but I guess it can see through space. Yeah. I wondered if, uh, is there any version of this where what it's looking at is it's looking into the sideways? Like, is it looking mm. into like where you will go? This I know is- that was certainly the speculation back in the day, right? right was, but oh, I okay, think that was like this that. a mirror into an alternate universe as opposed to like, is this a window into what happens next? Um, like I, I like I think like the theorizing is like a little bit different there. But I don't know. I haven't thought about it a tremendous amount personally. Yeah, I mean, I like that, again, a little bit more, because one of the things, and I've talked about this a lot, of how I'm not necessarily for the whole 
omniscient, all-knowing Jacob ideas, because I just don't like the idea that, like, oh, he knows everything that's going to happen, so he travels through time and, you know, is able to touch everybody. That just feels like a a skosh to God Almighty from my perspective. I guess we can also assume that there are probably 360 candidates, right? If each degree on that wheel is a candidate? Yeah, at least. At least 360. Do you think that... Did Jacob want Hurley to pull to 108 just so Jack could see his name? Or do you think he really wanted them to look at Billy Wallace? Oh, uh, wow. It's just coming right out with it. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, if you were a fan of the Lost RPG uh, that Mike and I did along the way, and if you've never looked at uh, the list of candidates on Lost Wikipedia, why don't you just go ahead and do that and look at who's uh, at 108? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and just give that a look? Could Take a look, at, and it all makes sense to you. Could this is your Aaron is three. Could Drop the mug moment. Yeah, Aaron is three. <laughs> and who's 108? Go take a look. <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, close out the sideways, Mike. Uh, really mm. beautiful scene coming up here as Jack and David are going to talk after uh, the, the recital. Sound number seven. You were great in there. You saw me? I missed a couple of notes. Sounded perfect from where I was standing. David, you scared the hell out of me. You're at Grandma's. I thought I could get back to your place before you got home. I didn't know you were still playing. I mean, Mom promised not to tell you. Why? It was always such a big deal to you. You used to sit and watch me practice. You were so... into it. I didn't tell you I was coming here because I didn't want you to see me fail. your age my father didn't want to see me fail either he used to say to me that he said that I didn't have what it takes spent my whole life carrying that around with me I don't ever want you to feel that way I will always love you no matter what you do In my eyes, you can never fail. I just want to be a part of your life. Okay. I've got some pizza back at the house. You hungry? Sure. Good. It's a beautiful scene, but RIP to the pizza they're going to have to eat when they got home that has been sitting out for... It's Yeah, you know Jack didn't put that in the fridge because he was so worried about his son. like, refrigerate it, uh, freeze it, save it for for later for yourself, but you and your son just had a moment, and then you're going to go from that to going home 
and eating coagulated pizza. Come on. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, do you think they're they're saying things to each other as the the flash sideways sounds plays that we don't hear? Do you think it's Jack being like, "Yeah, I gotta admit, the pizza's a little coagulated, I but know. I think it's still good." Oh my god! You know, I, I was understand. gonna get you some spaghetti, but it reminded me of uh, when I cut this this spinal cord and a bunch of angel hair pasta came flying out. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, but listen, but the scene if, is if, beautiful. The scene is exactly, absolutely if, gorgeous. If the worst thing we can say about Jack is his pizza maintenance skills in this scene, that definitely says something. I think yeah. this is this is a beautiful scene. Uh, again, it's something that really pinged to me. This idea of loving your child, warts and all, uh, and you know, just just thinking about the idea that a child might think that your parents wouldn't love you for doing very specific things like it's just a great window a mirror if you will into how david viewed jack which was in a very christian light yeah right of saying you know dad was so into me doing well in this music thing that i essentially quit but i was doing secretly doing it on the dl because if i did something wrong i didn't want him to be angry at me like it's a it is a heart-shattering realization for Jack. And maybe a Jack in a different time would come back with anger to that, but I love the warmth and understanding and regret and remorse that he brings to this conversation of, I will always love you no matter what you do. In my eyes, you can never fail. I just want to be a part of your life. That's and so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's so vulnerable as well for a character that usually isn't even in these latter day stages of Jack for him to essentially say, yeah, I, I screwed up and I'm always going to love you. I'm sorry if I didn't come across that way, but all I want to do is be your dad. And that is a, a comment that really hits hard with me in particular. Obviously, my son is not in an age to sneak away on his bike and play piano at John Williams concerts. <laughs> He's got you snowed, Mike. He's sneaking oh, out every night. Oh, no. Yeah. I just imagine now Asher at like one of those little toy type pianos yeah. with like a little tie and tails playing John Williams music. He knows uh, but exactly I, I, where he's going. But I, I love this idea, right? Because it's it's incredibly meaningful as a parent of I don't need you to be anything in particular i don't need you to be like me i don't need you to be a success or a failure i just need you to be my kid yeah and to hear that coming from jack someone who he himself probably to be candid the conversation that jack is having with david is what he always hoped christian would tell yeah, him of course of and course. It's, it's an incredibly therapeutic moment from that perspective to essentially say oh crap i was repeating the cycle let me break that wheel, that frozen donkey wheel right now and tell my son something that I never had the luxury of hearing. And it's, yeah. it's very, very weighty. Yeah, it's very weighty. And I think it's played excellently by both of the, the performers involved in the scene. Um, like it's, it's a really obviously uh, great moment for Matthew Fox. But I think that this is one of those moments where like, yeah, Dylan Minnette, uh, strong argument for like, uh, you know how quickly we forget like Malcolm David Kelly was so great as Walt but mm -hmm. like uh like in like his his very limited amount of time on screen is at the very least one of the best kid actors that we see on the show. Yeah, definitely. And so it's a tough bar to measure up to, but I think Dylan Minnette, I mean you watch David react to that comment from Jack that I made before and like you see 
genuine happiness yeah. in his eyes like his eyes get a little wet yeah. uh, of him just been like that's all i wanted my dad to say was that i'll always love you and i'm always proud of you and i'm not putting all this pressure onto you and you feel a pressure be lifted from his shoulders and again we're not going to dote much on this relationship moving forward this is very clearly something that jack needed to accomplish before he ends up seeing to the other side but i'm happy that these two these two people are going to work out in a certain way. Granted, David's only going to be around for a few more days because I'm assuming that reality disappears once they open the church doors. But at least Jack was able to make peace with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's the end of the sideways story in this episode. But there's more to do on the island and even more to do with Jack, even if Jack himself has nothing else to say. But that's kind of the point as uh, as Derwood's what's his name? Derwood Spinks. <laughs> Derwood Spinks returns. <laughs> <laughs> Derwood Spinks shows back up. Uh, Jacob himself. uh to have a final conversation with Hurley that doesn't quite close out the episode, but gets us really close. Let's listen in sound eight. How'd it go? Where were you, man? Doesn't matter. He wouldn't have been able to see me anyway. Yeah, well, if he told me that and, like, explained everything, then maybe Jack wouldn't have freaked out and smashed your mirror into a billion pieces. Thanks for the seven years of bad luck, by the way. You got ink on your forehead. I have ink on my forehead? That's all you have to say? Jack broke your lighthouse, dude. Mission unaccomplished. Whoever you said we needed to help get to the island is totally screwed. Well, I'm sure they'll find some other way. So, everything you wanted me to do didn't get done, and you don't even care. Jack C was in that mirror. Why? It's the only way for him to understand how important he is. Well, that was your plan? I think it backfired, man. Jack is here because he has to do something. Can't be told what that is. He's got to find it himself. Sometimes you can just hop in the back of someone's cab and tell them what they're supposed to do. Other times, you have to let him look out at the ocean for a while. Well, next time, how will you tell me everything up front? I'm not big on secret plans, okay? I couldn't risk you not coming, Hugo. I had to get you and Jack as far away from that temple as I possibly could. What? Why? Someone's coming there. Someone bad. Dude, we gotta warn them. We can't warn them, Hugo. I'm sorry, it's too late. Wow, sucks to be literally everyone at the temple besides Jack and Hurley. It's just critical that Hurley and Jack survive. Everybody else at this point is ultimately expendable. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I mean, considering that uh, Miles is there, and I believe Miles is a candidate, it's just like, eh, F Miles. It's, yeah. He's fine. He can die in the I, temple. He's like, I've seen enough. I've seen enough. Wait, we had uh, your one flashback episode. We're good. I think he has in his mind probably seen enough to know who the guys are. Like, Jack is the one who has to, like, uh, carry the ball across the finish line. Is that what you do? And then Hurley is yeah, the no, one. No, you put, you put the ball in the, in the basket, right? Yeah, you put the ball in the basket with the chips. 
and then it shall be up to Hurley to carry the basket moving forward. Like, I think he sees that. I think he sees that. These are the guys. It's the two of them together. I like this scene a lot, though, mostly for Hurley. Uh, oh, yeah. Hurley, the- Hurley, again, like, he's always been the audience analog. Really is here in response to Jacob, right? Of just, I love the almost like fatigue with. Okay, so everything you wanted me to do didn't get done, and you don't even care. It's mm-hmm. like, I did all this, I walked so much, made so many season one references, and at the end of the day, you don't care at all that you gave me all these directions, and none of them ended up being fulfilled. Totally, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really love it from Hurley, and like you can imagine like watching this and seeing how Hurley is like dealing with Jacob, like... Hurley's like, man, if I were in charge, I would not do this the same way. And it's like, good, yeah, yeah, please. He really is giving his thesis statement for leadership, right? Which is, I'm not big on secret plans, which we're like, thank God. Oh, man, any remnants of the Temple Others who end up making it out next episode are going to be so thrilled when they come onto Hurley's leadership. He's like, all right, dudes, uh, first thing, like, I'm going to be super transparent about everything. Everyone just, like, throws up their hands and prays because nobody before them has done that. Totally. Uh, a really good scene. Um, I want to shout out April, one of the amazing patrons yes. of Post Show Recaps, uh, and uh, a, a piece of art that she uh, she created um, that depicts uh, Jack looking out at the sea uh, that really like captures that angle of Matthew Fox looking out so pensively. It's a really, really beautiful representation of this moment, but I just love that image. I love that image of Jack just like looking out across the sea and like, you know, contemplating his life and his place in the universe. And like, I think that we get, um, you know, I think that the final season Jack is probably the most celebrated version of the character for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I think like a lot of that energy is stemming from where he is right now in this moment. Like, I think that moving forward from this scene is a big part of why people really, really love the character in the final season. So it's a great moment. Really, really, really great moment. Really great visual. Uh, But there's a reason why Josh sound number eight wasn't the ending of the episode. I know. Because the ending kind of sucks. Yeah, the ending is back with Claire and Jin. And Jin saying, yeah, I was just kidding. Kate didn't take Aaron. I was just trying to save Justin's life. And also the others totally have your babies at the temple. And you're going to need me to get to the temple. Uh, I understand you're trying to save your life, but like, dude, what's your end game here? What what are you? Because you're going to go to the temple and either they're going to kill Claire or Claire's going to get there and be like, you were lying, Jin. And then you're going to be headless at the end of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, And Claire's going to say, well, I'm glad that you were kidding because if Kate actually had taken Aaron, I would kill her. Yeah, which uh, I guess we'll get into in the next few episodes, right? Once Claire ends up in that pit. Yeah, and then Claire's friend shows up, and it's John. No, it's not John. This is my friend. The uh, one thing I do like about lost. yeah, the one thing I do like about this scene is how the intense Jacino music just contrasts how smiley Claire and John Loki are to Jin. They're like, oh, this is fine and dandy, and then the music's like, ba 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 ba. It's uh-huh. it's a fun little disparity. Even if, like we talked about before, I think it's a it's a bit of a nothing burger reveal. Like you you can make some assumptions about who that friend was. We didn't need it as a reason to keep them here the entire episode. I think it serves as a microcosm of, of this frankly weak C for Claire plot of the reintroduction of her character. All right, well we'll see how that impacts our episode ratings in just a second. We are going to throw it once again to our sponsors for this episode of Down the Hatch. And when we come back, we will do four point two stars. We'll do the feedback. We'll do the MVP. Just a minute, we will be RB. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at chumbacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, we are back. <laughs> Sounded like you were rapping going into that ad break. I always am uh, trying to wrap up. Um... Mike, I I really, really, really like Lighthouse largely for the Matthew Fox of it all, uh, the Hurley of it all. Like these characters are great in this episode. Um, I I really love everything that's going on in that storyline, and I love the sideways storyline as well. But the C plot does exist, and I think it's actively <laughs> bad. Um, and it doesn't have like quite the same like big sort of epic scope of LA Space X. So I think it's a it's a scooch below LA Space X for me then. Uh, and that means I have Lighthouse at a 3.9. It's it's just outside of the fours for me. The Claire story is just a bummer for me, Mike. It just doesn't yeah. it really doesn't do it for me in the end. Yeah, this episode really serves as, I think, a microcosm of some of the things I don't love about season six, namely, you know, what the the sort of broad brushing they do with characters like Claire, uh, even some of the Jacob stuff. I'm still not a huge fan of like, I understand the method to the madness a little bit as he explains, but I'm still not a, a really enjoying the fact that he essentially leads them out into the middle of the jungle and is like, uh, it's fine if it doesn't happen. Right. You know, we got to figure out some other stuff. Just, you know, Hurley vocalizes why the character can be frustrating essentially trying to to make people do things by manipulating them or purposely obfuscating facts. So I agree that I like this slightly less than LA SpaceX. So like you, uh, I'm going to put it slightly lower. I gave LA SpaceX a 3.7, so this gets a 3.6 from me. I co-sign everything else you said. I think it's a very strong Jack episode. I think the Flash Sideways, it honestly might be my favorite Flash Sideways of season six yet. And honestly, maybe my favorite Flash Sideways stuff, maybe until the end, if we're being completely candid. I just think it's a really great summation of the character. Uh, it's a poignant step for him that stems back all the way to his very first flashback episode. And I think it is immaculately performed by both Matthew Fox and Dylan Minnette. Uh, so we got a healthy mix of stuff, much like last week. Yeah. With- what, what was the spread? So we had as low as a 2.5 and as high as a 4.1. Uh, okay. So actually about a similar spread as last week. That being said, Lighthouse, like us, is going to finish before uh, below the substitute. It's going to get a 3.4 average. So with your 3.9, my 3.6, their 3.4, that is a 3.62 average three. overall. Which is, uh, yeah, a healthy number three at the moment for season six overall. Okay, uh, so Lighthouse in third place for season six. 
so far. I think it'll hang out here for a minute. Um, I don't think this is going to change. Uh, I, I'm curious to, I have not yet rewatched Sundown, but uh, yeah. anyway, we'll talk about that next week. That'll be fun to talk about. Um, all right, let's do some feedback. This is coming our way from Jenny Lou. Jenny Lou writes in and says, I think the biggest clue that telegraphs the season six mystery of the Flash sideways comes in Lighthouse. Jack listens to a voicemail from someone named Summerland. I remember making a case for it at the time as it aired, but for whatever reason, the Lost community didn't latch onto it. Summerland is a pagan concept of afterlife. It's not purgatory. It's a kind of realm where souls go to wait before they move on to their next incarnation. Some readings say it's a place of reflection where souls examine their lives and their choices. So when you ask if there's an argument against the purgatory theory, I give you this. I suppose it could be referred to as purgatory adjacent, but again, discern the nuance. Very cool, Jenny Lou. Uh, love that, you pointing that out. That That is an awesome reference. I thought they were just fans of that hit uh, Lori Laughlin CW show from the mid-2000s. Was that a thing? Yeah, there's a show called Summerland. Jeez, Mike, I don't know what you're talking about. I gotta believe it's true. Yeah, you gotta you gotta look it up. It's got Jesse McCartney. It's got Lori Loughlin. It's got uh, <laughs> cool. Kate Panabaker. Uh, prior to, oh no, I think she's. Uh, I think her sister was the one in the Flash. But yeah, <laughs> okay. uh, Zach Efron was in it for a little nice. bit. Nice. All right. All right. All right. So Summerland so, rewatch coming next on Down yeah. the Hat. So maybe that was Purgatory as well. Yeah, it's very likely. Uh, this is from Richard, not Albert. Richard writes in and says, "Have you guys noticed or commented on the fact that there's a motif this season about the eight one fivers gazing at the?" reflections in mirrors ponds puddles etc i remember hearing about the myths of narcissus and how this helps explain where our characters are in the flash sideways they've forgotten their lives in the island after death they aren't looking outward only inward fixated on the reflections of the lives they lived or could have lived or wanted to live but didn't wow richard yet another poignant call out yeah all you hatchlings with your big brains so much smarter than Josh or I. Uh, so yeah, much. I, it's really not I, fair. I really like this because, yeah, we see this like last episode, you know, uh, Locke's looking through that little like barber mirror. I think we're going to get in a couple episodes. Sawyer is looking in the mirror a lot. We see this a lot in the flash sideways in particular. People sort of staring at themselves. And I think it's poignant in many ways. It's almost like recognizing yourself, uh, trying to see who you are. Speaking of big brain theories, I, I forgot to throw one out here that I did throw out in the chat that I want to make mention of. Maybe it's because I want to sort of yada yada through the Claire stuff, but I want to float it out here for people to sort of chew over as well, in addition to all this other great feedback we've been receiving. Okay, what is it? Well, so let's go, let's take something from Connor Howe, uh, who says, is the sickness that Claire and later Saeed have directly linked to the man in black, or is it just an innate aspect of the island? Isn't it the same sickness that Danielle's team got? Now, okay. it's it's interesting because we talk about the new so of it all, right? Uh, the, the similarities between those two characters. And Claire says that the man in black, her friend, told her that the others had her baby and sort of talked her into becoming in this, this semi-feral state. And it does make me wonder... Is there a chance, Josh, that in those 16 years uh, between what happens with the Blowfish and 815 coming upon the island, do you think the man in black had some sort of commune with Danielle Rousseau? 
that granted uh, her suppositions were correct that they did have her child, but I could imagine a world where the man in black is whispering sweet nothings into her ears and convincing her to sort of recede further and further, try to kill the others, maybe kill some candidates as well as part of his big master plan. Ooh, brutal. Uh yeah, I think that there's there's definitely a world where, um, you know, why does she think so? Like, I mean, I guess it's Montana goes, it's a security system, right? Or it's her husband that says it's a security system. Um, but was there any kind of like relationship between the man in black and some other form, the smoke monster in some other form and Rousseau? This is another one of those lost radio plays, Mike, that I would love to hear. Yeah, or even like, what if he appears as Robert, right? As, as you know, some of the, the ghosts of the blowfish to, to convince her that the people of this island are turning on her. Because again, Rousseau is a candidate. I would imagine it could be in Smokey's plan to essentially have these two sides, granted one sign is one woman, but have them take each other out. I could very easily see you know, uh, him incepts himself as like the spirit, you know, seasons one and two style to get Rousseau sent over the edge. So she either kills herself or ends up killing some candidates along the way. Yeah, uh, that would be fun to listen to, I guess. Like, I really do think like old timey radio show lost sequel slash prequel would be really, really, really yeah, fun. Let's get unfortunately, we would not be able to get Mira for long, but like, let's get the actress who played the young Rousseau yeah. from season five. I think that could really, really work. Cool. That'd be really, really, really cool. I like that theory, Mike, a lot. Um, Down Servo asks if this is Jacob's best episode yet, and Down Servo also reports an additional 13 dudes in this episode. We are at 269 dudes. Nice. nice. Wow. Okay. We're really ticking it up here. Oh, is this Jacob's best episode so at least far? Yet, yeah. Um, uh, da, 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 da. doing the mental math. Do the yeah. Mental I mean, math. I guess because because if the if the assumption is back during the cabin fever and the man behind the curtain stuff, if that wasn't Jacob, then I yeah, guess I think by we're default, talking yes. about uh, like Derwood Spinks, uh, <laughs> Jacob. You know, uh, so flesh and blood, or at least Mark Pellegrino style, Jacob. I, I don't know. I think L.A. SpaceX, he was fine in, uh-huh. right? Like, at least he wasn't as frustrating in that as he was I here. I kind of like him here, though, it, it, with, like, the, the, the Hugo Jacob two-hander stuff is fun. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think that there's, like, there's a whimsy to this that's pretty good. That's true. I think Jacob's playful here and yeah. not playful in like a I'm like going to hold a carrot in front of your face. on your forehead, I think is a really funny line <laughs> that I, I think I, I think I like Jacob the most in this one, even though some of his tactics still suck. I yeah. think like I like him as a as like a, a likable person the most in this episode so far. That's a great point. Yeah, I think this is the most you can enjoy Mark Pellegrino and Jacob. So much through Hurley. And so it's like a little hard not to be like, you know, like enjoying the dynamic. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. Yeah, that's how I feel. Um, the aforementioned April says, where in the heck did the pink foam child's playroom mat puzzle piece with a big one on it that's stuck in Claire's shelter come from? So I would imagine it's coming from the staff, because if you remember, yeah. they made up an entire nursery. Or unless another plane crash where there was a smuggler who was smuggling foam pieces for playrooms. This is and they all, the Ajira crash, yeah. Exactly. There was someone on board who just got uh, caught smuggling and then everything crashed and then Claire decided to squirrel baby that could away. Could be. Could be. Uh, final question from Bram. Uh, Bram writes in and says, it's just now occurring to me that it's pretty messed up that half of the 815ers lived in the caves for about a month and didn't bother removing the creepy centuries-old decayed bodies or Christian Shepard's smashed-up coffin. Michael planned a whole system to set 
separate drinking water from bathing water, but they kept all the creepy stuff lying around. Maybe that's why they eventually left, Mike, uh, mm. is that like the time finally arrived that they had to do something about the BODYS and no one wanted to volunteer for the job. And so they're like, okay, uh, so then uh, bail? And they're like, mm. yeah, bail. I don't know. I chalk it up to the fact that they're just too lazy. They keep their Halloween decorations up all year long. Yeah, that might make sense. I think they're just like, "Ah, I don't want to decorate for Christmas. Uh, That's the constant. We're still celebrating Halloween here. I I mean, the the, the, the first few months that they spend there does correspond with Halloween. So maybe that's the case. Um, All right. MVP LVPs, Mike, you've got three MVPs. I've got three LVPs and then two apiece correspondingly. Why don't you guide us through where you landed, Mike? Yeah, so I'm gonna give one to Jack here, and I guess it's also about well. yeah, it's, it's also about Jack total. I guess it's it's if it's if it's for Jack, it's for a Matthew Fox's performance, uh, which I think is really incredible, and B, I'd say sideways Jack. I would say it's not the best episode for Main Island Jack, considering that he does smash up the lighthouse. Right. Uh, but I think that sideways Jack, I love the reconciliation he comes to and like his own awakening, even though it's not the awakening. And again. Cannot speak highly enough about how when you give Matthew Fox good material, he does deliver. He's not just the heavy breathing, tropey man that you might think from the first few seasons of Lost. Like, he can legitimately do some very good stuff. And I think that's on showcase this episode. Yeah, I think that I agree with all of that. I think it's a really good episode for Jack in like his afterlife. But even in his present life, I think like he is like having these like moments of like true empathy uh, and like. Uh, like at least I'm having moments of true empathy for him. I think is the thing. Like I, I really feel for Jack in this episode. And I think Matthew Fox just does an incredible job, and it's very easy to hand out an MVP point to him. Um, I only have one other MVP point, and I, I normally I give an LVP point for this, but I refuse to believe that Justin is dead. Yes, um, Justin, I'm giving an MVP point because yes! like I just don't want to forget Justin. Yes. I want to make sure that we acknowledge Justin as like the only one of the Temple others who seem to have his shit straight. Uh, and was like the only one of the temple others like like yeah he gets killed but like this is like it, it, he really works hard to not get killed he really yeah. tries uh and i want to live in the world where he's faking it again um but beyond that like i think it is just important to like take a second separate justin out from all of the trash talking that we do towards the others generally uh and have this locked in in memoriam etched in writing etched in digital stone that justin was here uh and Mm. uh, give him an mvp point rather than the the classic lvp point for dying because i want the world to remember justin as another worth celebrating completely agree with everything because listen Hashtag Justin was right. He was right about the candidate stuff. He was right about the Kate stuff a couple of episodes ago. He was right in this episode. You know, uh, if he didn't kill Claire, Claire would kill him as it happened in this episode. He was right that they did not have Aaron. Uh, You know, yes, he can't speak towards the torturing methods that the others use. But like Justin was trying everything. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to to get away with it. Or maybe he did. Maybe he's alive the entire time. But I want to give kudos to one of the shining lights, I think, of the new characters here on Lost Season 6. And on that note, let me give my final MVP point to somebody in acknowledgement of the fact that, again, one of the best pieces of casting on Season 6 does a good job with uh, with Matthew Fox here and also plays a mean piano. I'm going to give a point to David Shepard here. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great. I think it's well-deserved. Um, 
Yeah, no, no further, no further questions, Your Honor. I think David getting a, a an MVP point makes a lot of sense. LVP time. I hate to do it, but I got to give one to Claire. Uh, I think it's it's more a comment on the writing than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, she also does murder a person, and like, she's obviously been through a lot. But it's just like I don't know. The whole thing is like really funky. Uh, there's not a ton of people to give LVP yeah. points to this week, so like. Claire has to get one, and I tried to like mitigate it a little bit by also giving an LVP point to the squirrel baby. Uh, so <laughs> Package Dale. Yeah, I gave one to Claire and one to the squirrel baby rather than dumping two on Claire. Was like the sort of like this will make me feel better about giving Claire an LVP point here uh, decision. It's tough because you feel bad for the character, but at the same time, she is wrong. You know, yeah. she is factually incorrect. The yes. others do not have her baby, and she has led herself to that. That is the case to the point that she has committed murder. Uh, so I have two points. I'm going to give one to Dogen because uh, Dogen gets his pants pulled down here, and he yeah, has. I he's actually hol- give my third to Dogen as well for these. There reasons. we go. Yeah. Listen, he has his hands on his shirt, but he doesn't have it on his pants because they get promptly pulled down here. Like They're on he my gets pants. Up- <laughs> they're in my pants uh wow you really have survivor 35 on the I brain really do. Uh, he he yeah he he gets owned in so many ways like jack uh, he says you're not allowed to leave the temple yet they leave uh he gets talked away by hurley like it really is dunking on dogan in this episode and i mentioned it before this pains me as a Quan lover I gotta give my other LVP point to Jin. It's a bad look for him in this episode, and not just talking about his leg. I get it, it yeah. It's, it's very clear he's trying to, like, fight his way out of a bad situation here, but I think he's only making things worse for himself if there was an eventuality where Claire would find out that he was lying the entire time. All right, so Jin already getting a negative one in advance of uh, the candidate later on this season where we will give him negative five for staying behind and dying, right? <laughs> exactly. Sorry, he's just gonna, trying to rile people up. Yeah, he's, he's really, he's gonna supersede Mother as <laughs> the LVP of the season absolutely by far we joke we joke because we'll cry um some updates on where we're at smoke monster still at the top of the pack but Jack is getting close four points to Smokey's five that's the top two right now and in the bottom two it's a tie uh Mother who will not be eligible for more. Although we see her body in this episode Mike oh no um hang on let oh, no. me I'm taking no! my I'm taking my LVP point off of <laughs> Dogen. because uh, you already hit him with one. I'm gonna take my LVP point off of Dogen and I'm gonna put it on Mother's Corpse. Now <laughs> Mother's at negative six. Should I do that with Squirrel Baby and Claire? Cause the mother is here. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's you're gonna just dunk on mother continually. Yeah, I mean, just let's do it while we've got the shot. Yeah, I'm gonna do this. All right, Claire's not getting an LVP <laughs> point, and neither is the squirrel baby. I'm going off, folks. Uh, yes. I'm just going off on mother and giving her a negative eight, and I'm clearing the squirrel baby who shall not be memorialized here on this episode of Down the Hatch or in our MVP points ever. Uh, and I think that that means that Claire goes back uh claire uh was zeroed out but now claire is at a one uh Mm -hmm. okay great so yeah just because we see mother's dead body in this episode uh that makes her eligible for lvp points mike i'm giving mother three lvp points (laughs) i uh, this is so great now look 
There's no collusion, no collusion going on. But I think Josh and I are kind of putting our thumbs and forehands on the scale here, right? To be like, Mother is the worst character of season six. Let's make sure that she is. We know that Dogen meets his end next episode, and we want to make sure that he does not supersede her, which he probably would if those points were arranged in a different way. So I'm all for this. Yeah. Uh, When opportunity knocks, uh, you take it. So Mother now has negative eight points. Oh, fitting. Very fitting. Uh, negative eight points for Mother, and Dogen is uh, now tied for second to last uh, with Randy Nations. The two of them have negative four as well. Um, so that's where we stand going into Sundown, where Dogen will inevitably uh, score further LVP points because he's going to die. So is Lenin. And Saeed is going to take this really dark turn. Um, and for many people, like this is like the beginning of like a really horrible story for Saeed. I'm curious to reexamine it. My memories of Sundown are always that I find the episode to be very disturbing, but good. Uh, Hmm. Like, I think more often than not, I walk away from sundown liking the episode and being really chilled by it and feeling awful for a lot of the characters on the show. But there being some like really compelling visuals in this one, some really great some of the some of like our great like final smoke monster action scene moments, I think is coming up in sundown. Um, a brilliant um, music cue calling back catch a falling star coming up mm. um, and just like sort of like horror movie vibes to sundown that I, that I appreciate. Um, and I, I expect that even though he kills people, Saeed will score at least a point for killing Dogen and Lennon. Um, so I'm actually excited to go back to because I think no matter what you think in terms of like the characterization, I think that um, that Naveen Andrews is just so good in the episode uh, and is uh, is really worthy of celebration. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to check it out. I'll be curious to get your thoughts on it, Mike, and the Hatchlings thoughts as well, of course. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. Uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now, and apparently Cynthia Littleton, no relation to Claire, of Variety, described it as one of the creepiest and craziest episodes of Lost ever. And I'll be intrigued to see if, you know, how much of that creepiness I appreciate versus, like, how much of it legitimately disturbs me so much that it has a negative impact on the episode. Look, there's going to be a bit of a celebration no matter what, because this is the conclusion of the temple storyline. It is going to get destroyed. And also we'll celebrate because this is the introduction of Sideways Kimi, which is going to be a very fun part of season six as well. Uh, so I think it's going to be an interesting look. It's also, I think, going to be a good time to stop down and talk about Saeed, you know, right now when he's on the precipice of Breaking Bad. He's going to start coming in relatively normally offset from what we know him as. He's going to end it murdering two people in cold blood. So I think this is where the transition really happens. And to your point, it's something that a lot of people gripe with. I'm really intrigued to see, at least from a transitional perspective, how it looks and maybe weigh that up against the Saeed we're going to get in his remaining time on season six. Yeah. So we'll check all of that out as we go to sundown. The podcast is going to be recording on October 13th. Get your feedback in by let's say the morning of October 12th is ideal. Hey, 
Come watch Sundown. Come watch the temple burn all the way to the ground with me and Mike. <laughs> this is what we'll we'll do. We will officially, we will do this as part of the campus tour, Mike. We will watch Sundown, the season six episode of Lost, on October 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern in the campus section of the Post Show Recaps Discord, which is available at the $5 level of the Post Show Recaps Patreon. We would love for you to swing by. Consider it a $5 fee for a drive-in screening that you get to watch lost with mike myself and so many of the other hatchlings and hey while you're here poke around the discord you might like what you find you may want to stay if you only want to show up for a screening or two that's also totally okay uh but we want you to have that opportunity we would love to watch lost with you 8 p.m eastern on 10 11 21 come on in Patreon.com slash post show recap. Sign up at that $5 level and make some new friends, including Mike and myself. Yeah, speaking of come on in, Josh, you made waves making your return to Survivor podcasting this past week with Rob Cesternino. Uh, people are into hearing you talk about a different type of monster and being very silly uh, that brings smiles upon so many people's faces, mine included, to hear you talk Survivor once more. I heavily suggest people check that out. Of course, the new episode will have aired by the time people are listening to this, but that's still no excuse to check out some uh, past thoughts from Josh Wiggler about Survivor. Yes, and I am not going to be talking about Survivor each and every week. No way. Uh, just not a thing that I am uh, down to do. I have no time for it, even though I really enjoyed what I watched. Uh, and I had an absolute blast podcasting about it with Rob. But what I'll say is, if you listen to the podcast that Rob and I did about Survivor, just make sure you listen to the very end. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I certainly, uh, if not, I'm not doing Survivor coverage weekly, but you have not heard the last of me talking about that island in Fiji. Uh, so uh, we've got some really fun plans for you in a way that is going to be uh, very doable with my schedule and with uh, my my the amount of energy I am willing to devote to this show anymore. So I'm actually really, really, really pumped about uh, what we what we landed on there. Uh, really great stuff. And of course, you can listen to Mike talking about Survivor, the Survivor B&B on RHAP, so many other things that you've got going on, Mike Bloom. Yeah, so uh, we're talking about the Bloom Files, of course. We're talking all things Derwood Spinks. Derwood Spinks. Unbelievable. And much more on the Bloom Files this week on X-Files Season 7. You mentioned the Survivor B&B, also doing Exit Press. I mean, to be candid, Josh, uh, I have shed a coat, a meat coat, a meat coat of many colors, if you will, uh, with Big Brother wrapping up and the Circle wrapping up last week. September was an intense week to be a reality TV fan. October less so. Uh, it's making me feel very happy. Not that I am not uh, incredibly grateful for all the opportunities I get to cover those shows, but it was a lot. It was a lot of attention. So I'm excited to, to get back into television. I've been catching up on What If. I've been watching Ted Lasso for the first time. So, I mean, that's mainly what, what I'm it, Ted Lasso. I'm really enjoying Ted Lasso. It's, it's not even, even with all I've been told about the show, it's not what I thought. It would be, uh, which makes me excited. And you know what? Again, with with the, the state that the world is in and my own mental fragility, uh, sometimes you need, you know, you need a nice good time show to uh, keep your your buoyed mentality going throughout the day. What I will also plug is uh, finishing up this past week was Black Widow Brigade, which at this point, a year ago, Josh Wiggler, myself, several stars of RHAP and Post Show Recaps proper, got together to play a combination game of Survivor and Mafia. Spoiler alert, 
both Josh and I made the finale of Black Widow Brigade, mm. but I will not tell you how we do. You're going to have to check that out for yourself, but if you have a vested interest to check out that entire series, uh, your two DTH podcasters end We're up there. making it to the finale. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, Unlike Jin and Sun, we make it to the finale. strong recommend uh, that you check out our Quantum Entanglement on Black Widow Brigade, so go seek that out. Made by Alex G. Really, really fun web series that just wrapped up. Um, so many other things happening on post show recaps the aforementioned ted lasso it wraps up season two this week antonio mazzaro and i will have coverage of the finale uh and we are not done podcasting about ted lasso even after that we will have at least one more show to wrap up our ted lasso season two coverage um succession coverage has begun jess sterling grace leader and myself have already released one preview show of succession if you were a fan of that show we also have uh, a non-brant steel survivor simulation of of succession uh, that we recorded as a podcast, Mike, and that is going to be coming out on October 10th. Oh, uh, so, or sorry, so, so October this is, 11th. So this isn't a simulation. This is you, like Survivor Riverland style. You three talk through how yeah, these people would start, do in a Survivor season. We're starting at the merge. Uh, we're starting at the merge. It's a really fun podcast that helps us work out a lot of the feelings we have about the characters on succession. Uh, so really, really fun. We hope you enjoy that. So many more, whether it's it's Bloom Files, Walking Dead, Ang In There, just a thousand different shows that we do here on Post Show Recaps. The Final Fantasy coverage is back as of this week. Really fun stuff over there. It's just so much is happening and more still to come. We're just getting started, as we love to say, around these parts. So uh, even if you cannot make it to the screening, if you can find it within you to support the podcast, we so appreciate it. It truly makes it possible for us to do all of the things we are trying to do here at whatever level you can uh, you can manage patreon.com slash post show recaps to show some support for your favorite podcast network we're assuming it's us uh, <laughs> uh here in our in our patreon birthday month we would so appreciate it um we're gonna call it there hope to see some of you on october 11th at 8 p.m eastern in the post show recaps patron discord to watch sundown to everybody else we'll be back with our sundown coverage next week until then take care Bye bye It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.